for November, November 14, 2007. This is episode 32 of Power Big Weekly. Welcome to the place where the story never ends. So run the next time you're feeling jealous of me. I'm so famous and awesome at Quidditch. Just remember that time that we took you to Slughorn's office and you nearly drank yourself to death. But I saved your neck. Welcome back, everybody, to a very special episode of Perfect Weekly. It's not really special, but after that, you really deserve something special, and we have nothing whatsoever to give to you. I'm Ryan. I'm Jen. I'm She. This is Meg. I'm Michael. And I'm Kara. That we have never done it that well before, and you know why? Because we took the G approach. We did seniority and then the peons. You're apparently a peon. We classified no. everyone who apparently isn't important last week as a peon. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh. I'm so sorry to have to tell you this. But <laughs> she has decided that if you're not on the host list, you're apparently a peon, even though they edit the episodes and basically keep us functioning. But you know, whatever. Hey, I'm just saying. We'll stage a revolution is what we'll do. Well, there's two of you and there's like five of us, so I think we're we kind of <laughs> Yeah. Okay, before we start tonight's episode, I'm going to make Jen blush. Oh, Ryan. We are a week late with this episode of Parfic Weekly because last week as we gathered to record, uh, Jen gave us a call and Jen had to let me know that she had um, to go into the hospital for some tests. And Jen is completely fine now. I'm on the road to recovery. She's on the road to recovery, and she's doing well, and she's getting better every day. Last week, Jen was misdiagnosed. She was misdiagnosed on Thursday night. We didn't find out till Friday. So for (laughs) a period of 24 hours, we thought Jen had four months to live. We gathered the Polarific Weekly community together, and we sang songs, and we sang... Well, Jen wasn't there. Jen Jen, Jen, Jen was having a, a dark Thursday. Jen was having a very bad Thursday and we were having a very bad Thursday and we stayed up until three o'clock in the morning and we were just we love Jen was basically what we kept saying and and I was booking a a flight to Texas which is (laughs) troublesome for me because after listening about Texas for like 30 something episodes I am very scared to go there because apparently when you get off the plane the iguana just attacks you on the tarmac (laughs) and and then the dogs come over and the dogs are and then there's a car runs over your foot we apologize the Texans, but I just want to say this. Last week, we were very scared for Jen, and everything worked out fine, and Jen is getting better, and everything is good, but we were very, very, very worried there for for about like 12 to 20 hours, and I just want to say this, Jen, you were the bravest person in the world. No, I'm not. I yeah. called you, and I was bawling. Well, Jen, no, Jen, I'm not brave. I was Jen, like, <laughs> you were the bravest. I have to tell this story. I'm at my fiance's house. And I was emptying the trash can, and I cut my foot. I got, like, a little cut oh. on my foot. It was, like, half an inch long. I think I called for the paramedics. 
And I was really concerned. Really? That is the type of person I am, and Jen is just the bravest person in the world. So I just want to let everyone know that. And you don't tell people often what they mean to you, but we definitely really had a rough week together, all of us. And I just want to tell Jen that you are the heart and soul of the show. And I'm very sorry I banned you from the forums this evening. I hope your toe is okay. <laughs> I love this, Jen. We thought you were going to die. Is your toe all right? <laughs> Well, it wasn't, it, he's making it, well, it was that dramatic, but it was a little bit. A little bit I like how she tries to downplay it. She's Jen, like, you cannot hey, downplay almost dying. I just, I just want to thank everybody who's praying for me and, and the prayers are very needed still. I'm not, everything's looking positive. I'll say that now, but every, but we're still, I'm not 100% healthy. So we'll get there. They diagnosed me with a viral immune deficiency. They thought it was everything from cancer to anthrax to blue knot, <laughs> everything, bird flu. <laughs> I mean, any Does that mean kind it encompasses of all of that or could just be any of those? It could have. Yeah, they tested me for they, all of those they things. They tested her for the plague, I think. When we say misdiagnosed, they had told me the night before that they were 90% sure that I had lymphoma and that it was so advanced that it would look like I would have four to eight months to live and that I had that evening to prepare myself for the news. And then the next day they were like, okay, you have abnormal cells, but it's not cancer. And Ryan asked the question I asked. He was like, well, doesn't abnormal, isn't that cancer? And I was like, evidently not always. <laughs> so anyway, they basically have been trying to kill my immune system with chemotherapy. And uh, so this weekend has been really fun. And even this morning, and right now I'm feeling much better than I did this morning. But instead, they were telling me six months of chemo, and then we'll see because I have two masses. And now they're saying two weeks of chemo, and we're going to keep checking the progress. So that's where we are right now. So it looks really good. Wow. And I just want to point out this for the Polyfic Weekly perspective on this. We always do things a little bit differently here. I even said that night when we got the bad news, we're all sitting around like, you know, like the table in shock. And we're like, you know what? What are the odds that she's going to call us tomorrow and say, they mixed up the results. I just have gas. My favorite part of this whole experience was that the day after I found out that I might have longer than four to eight months to live, I called Ryan and I was like, I don't even know how to tell people that news. Like, what do you, and he was like, I think you did pretty well. And we, we started like judging how we handled the news. <laughs> we were reviewing the situation. <laughs> we were reviewing our, I was like, you were trying to be brave and you knew that I was trying to be brave and, and, and I knew that you were, <laughs> and sucked? I knew that you knew that I knew. <laughs> She's like, I have four to eight months to live. And I'm like, that's plenty of time. You know, that's great. That's fucking wonderful. You just, weekly. <laughs> like, there are, there are flies that don't live that long. That's, that's wonderful. And it was, it that's was, the Ryan and Jen story. And then it's great. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to call Chi and tell her the great news. No, you call Chi and I'll call him. And we're, we have to tell everyone now because we told everyone last night that Jen was dying. And everyone's like, <laughs> So we have to call everyone back and tell them, you know, just kidding. So we're well, I felt guilty, but I've been crying too. Like it wasn't like I was like. <laughs> Jen is the only person I know who apologized for a living. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. So then we're calling everyone, and I see Meg on the forum. I was there. I'm like, Meg, isn't it wonderful? And she's like, the Jen's dying. I'm like, apparently Meg didn't get the message from Chi. Okay. Oh so. no! But it turned out to be the problem. Was it? Meanwhile. Her phone number, but Meg hadn't given me her cell phone number. 
she had right. given me her home phone number. So she got a very little happy message from me that went, Hey Meg, um, this is Lady Chi or Chi or whatever you want to call me. It's like someone named Chi left a message. <laughs> and I was like, Someone's okay. not dying. It was a false alarm. Yay! It but- was honestly though, all day at work. I'm like, why isn't anyone calling me? What's going on? People at work are like, the dog. Like, oh, and I have to tell you, too, I'm at work, and people are coming up to me saying, I have a problem with this, and we need to rectify this right away. I look up at them, I'm like, I don't give a shit. Because all I can picture is Jenny's dog. I'm on the phone with Danielle. We have to fly to Texas tomorrow. We're, like, booking flights and stuff, and then well, Jen like, calls I'm me. I'm giving my bank accounts to charity and crap. Like, Did I you? was... <laughs> but we were talking about where to put the trust funds and that kind of stuff, and I was like, well... Okay, I guess we should give it to this charity. And James is like, hell no, I'm going to buy a new car. And like, <laughs> enjoy it for your last four months. Huh? No, tell them what you said to James. You need to you, share. You have to understand that my family was here when it was like the most dire conversation. Dad was like bringing a lawyer over to talk about wills. And he was asking me things like where I wanted to be buried because we don't have plots yet. Like serious conversations were going on because obviously my family is like the family of doom. (laughs) James, my husband, my poor, lovely husband is just freaking out. The poor guy, he didn't know what to do. He couldn't sit still. He couldn't like everything. Everybody said it was just going over his head. Like it was just like this blank person. And I sat him down and I said, honey, I love you. And if I die, you're never allowed to remarry ever. I'm the only woman that you can ever be with in the future. So when I'm dead, you have to come and see me at the graveyard because you won't be dating ever. (laughs) (laughs) And he, he was like, it broke his, like he started laughing and like, so anyway, it was much needed, but it was, yeah, I was telling him basically that if I died, he was going to be and never. (laughs) Then I called Jen and I'm like, Jen, I want you to know. This is sad news. I still expect you to report for the podcast next week. If you need an hour <laughs> off, take it. Whatever you need, that's fine. Oh, he says that. But tonight he's work. like, how are you feeling? Are you feeling okay? You don't have to do it. You can take off or not. It's okay. And I'm, no, I'm, I'm all right. I'm going to do it. I want to tell you, I was in a meeting with my boss and my cell phone went off. I just took the phone and walked out of the meeting. And they're like, what? Ryan, you didn't. You didn't tell me that. Oops. I can't do that. Don't do that again. You could get fired. And then how would I feel? <laughs> you give me your bank accounts. <laughs> no, James is buying a car. No, right. apparently. James and I are fighting. Jen wanted me to help him. He's so tactless. He was like, if you die, I only get half the insurance because I'm covered under his. I don't know if y'all know, but like. The peep, the person who's covered gets full, and then the spouse gets half of what he's covered for. He was like, if anybody's got to go, it's got to be me because you only get half the insurance. And I want to thank yeah. Lady Chi, too. Lady Chi, like, honestly, like, we're joking about this. It was an awful, awful, awful night. But Chi, I, I, I'm cracking up in retrospect. What ended up happening I was I, I had to gather everyone together and tell everyone. And I want to just say this, too, for the record. Now, this is like a community project, and I may be the guy who spearheads it, but everyone here is an equal, valuable <laughs> member. I'm shell-shocked getting off the phone. I'm like, I need to get everyone together. I need to tell people this. I'm the headmaster. I'm in charge. I need to handle this. I need to... And I slapped myself, and I was fine. I'm like, Meg, I need to talk to you right away. Am I in trouble? No, Meg, you're yes, not in trouble. Yes. 
Yes. Okay. Chi, I need to talk to you right away. Am, 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 am I in trouble? No, you're not in trouble. I went through every single person <laughs> asked me you? if I was. I don't know, but apparently I have a reputation. So I get everyone together and I tell everybody. I tell the whole story. Everyone's crying. Everyone's upset. And then right when we're done, another person comes on and says, I got your message. What's up? I'm like, oh, God, I got to tell the story again. And, and she is like, don't worry, Ryan. I got your back, it. man. <laughs> I'm going to tell the whole story. Famous last So we get word. them in the room, and I'm like, all right, Chi, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so I'm like, it's all right, Chi. It's all right, Chi. I will. So I tell the whole story again. The minute I'm done with the story, another person comes. I just got your message. What's up? I'm like, all right. Oh, my God. Chi's like, no, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm like, all right, Chi, go ahead. Here's the story. Jen. <laughs> Yes, you did, Chi. Don't lie. Oh, oh my God. It was the most draining. So from that point onward, we only tell people in ribbon form. so bad. Yes, now Jen. people are going to think that I'm not a rock and that I well, have, like, like I don't even know how. Lady Chi is, so in fact, curious. not a rock. I was so curious how Ryan presented it because I was just like, I don't even know how I was. I was, that, that whole night is such a blur. How did I say I know it? I did called I, did it, I, I do all right? Ryan I know. doesn't present it much like he would present his master's thesis. I did. This really? is what we know. This is what we're trying to find out. <laughs> like I'm in the room. Like I'm in the room with them. Like, you know, I'm getting the CAT scan back at 7. I'll let you know what it says. All right. Well, Jen, you're the bravest person in the world, and I expect you to be early next week. Don't say that. Seriously. I was like, well, she talked to me the night before I found out the bad news. <laughs> and I was like, I can't talk. I'm having a bad day. Okay, I'm like, tell you, Jen is telling me this news, and she's like, now you tell me something good. I'm, I'm like, just well, like most emotional. Danielle got an internship today. Oh, that's wonderful. Tell me, where is she working? What? <laughs> oh my god though do you know i came across this fan fiction story and uh i don't even remember the title but it was like i was like reading and i was just like i have to get my mind off of everything and so i was looking up stories and i found one and it was like harry got cancer and he ended up having to get shot of death through for snape and then he died and oh, i was like Can I just tell you this? The day my father passed away, he passed away at six o'clock at night. All right. Now they told us he was going to, he only had a couple of hours. He had 27, which I was grateful for those hours. But you know, when you're at the bedside, 27 hours is kind of long to stand. It's just saying. So, you know, so, so we're around his bedside. So after a while you sit down, you you put the TV on. A movie was on called Stepmom. Oh, no. So I'm like, this looks like a good movie. We'll watch this. This will take our mind off the seriousness of the day. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) That movie's brutal. I'm like, at the end of it, like, I think we were on the, the fourth floor. I think I tried to jump out the freaking window. Like, like, <laughs> you know what? Today is just not going to be a good day. Like, it was doomed from the beginning. This did not help. So I have to say, did you guys see my new suggestion for the Potterfic Weekly tagline? Oh, God, what is it? What? Puffwa. Angst is our crack, fluff is our pot, and chin is our drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. Accurate. I like that. God. Yes, Jen, the drug dealer. The infamous Jen recommendations. Oh, <sighs> oh, yeah. Oh, I get it. Sorry. I was stuck on the <laughs> drugs because I'm sitting here looking at, like, this huge bottle of white chalk that, that I'm just staring at. <laughs> I can't quite get myself to open the lid. No joke there. It's called Berry Smoothie. Very disgusting. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> 
anyway, I read these chapters, and I have to admit, I really like these chapters. Yay! I, like I would have never guessed. <laughs> I didn't. You didn't? I didn't guess that, that you would like the chapters. Oh, not at all. I know every week I'm like, this is my favorite chapters. This is my favorite chapters. Jen didn't every... like a chapter? Wait, I think there was, I've had a, I don't know. I can't remember. Are we talking about you're like none other? There's a chapter you didn't yeah, like? Yeah, we're talking, no. I. Well, maybe, but I, I can't think of it. I don't know. These are my second favorite set of chapters. Really? First. What was your first set? <laughs> the one we're doing next week, actually. The last couple. Oh, I'm so glad. Oh, yeah. All right, well, let me jump into the story tonight. Now, I'm not going to lie to everyone here. I actually just, I think because we had an extra week to do this, I would be prepared. I actually didn't get to <laughs> chapter 84, so I'm up to 83, so I'm good to go there. Oh, you didn't just, miss too much. Okay. 84 is kind of like a not that important chapter. Okay, well, well, that makes me feel good. That makes me feel good. That's the Wait, chapter. what is apparently. 84? Therapist. Oh, yeah, it's okay. Okay. So I'm, apparently I missed therapy. So um, one thing I just want to, like, and we can go into as much detail as we want in these chapters. One thing I want to say is I love the way that Aspen writes Drake. I'm sorry, not Draco. Well, I love how she likes Draco, but I love the way she, how she writes Lucius Malfoy. I thought the entire chapter with uh, Draco's hearing slash trial was one of the better chapters in the entire story. I just love the characterizations of it because I've read a few different fan fictions when it comes to some type of trial or when you bring in the wise and gamut or when you bring in, you know, the, the, the ministry personnel. And it's, it's difficult, I think, at least in a fan fiction or in any type of story to write like the mob mentality because everyone comes off either as, you know, huge fans of Harry Potter, or they come off as, you know, like almost like, you know, like Quorum of Twelve and the Old Balasar Galactica, the group of idiots who want to, yeah. you know, surrender the ship every week because they think it's a wonderful idea and that the hero has to, you know, beat intellectually because they're such idiots. It's hard to write that kind of mob mentality. I really felt like there was a lot of realism in that scene. You know, for like, I love the, 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 the references to everyone kind of looked at Lucius before they said things. Some people, you know, were obviously in his back pocket. There was an older wizard who spoke in the beginning who was, Fudge obviously was. But then there were, there were witches there who, you know, were very independently minded. They could tell when they were being BSed. You could see when politics came into it and there was the threat that, you know, you're about to let the murderer into the school and everyone kind of felt the way that I just really loved that scene and just the descriptions of the characters in the room. I just want to jump off with that tonight. That's my favorite part of these chapters. Now, Lucius is one evil SOB. Yeah, he, he makes, is. like, skin crawl in these chapters. He's, yeah. he's written so... Well, it's a complete opposite of him at Samhain when, you know, he's literally, like, on his knees being pet like a dog. And that's one of, I think, the <laughs> strengths of the story. I haven't read a fic yet, and I'm a, you guys have read way more than I have, so maybe this isn't new for you guys, but I've never read a fic that describes service to Voldemort almost as slavery. I've never really gotten that interpretation of it, but it's a really great way, I think, to... To, to, to write that, to write it, it's someone who is immensely powerful, but you are essentially surrendering yourself to him. And I don't think the canon ever approached that level of detail when it comes to, you know, just the service of Voldemort. But I thought that was just a great way to do it. He's so powerful, you know, in, in, the, in the Wizarding World, and he's, you know, on practically his throne in that hearing, and he's Lucius Malfoy, and he is proud in this. But then you see what it co- what that cost him. And I just... That entire process, I just think, is is really, really great. I love that. I love that a lot. 
You know what really disturbed me about him was when he called Draco Dragon after he was expelled. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys catch that? Yeah, that was his, um, was that his name as a child? He was named Dragon. That was was his nickname. That is his nickname. Yeah, and Narcissa used it as as like a lovely kind of, you know. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, After he would get beaten especially. So make sure you make that. It makes it a lot more angsty if you remember that it was the one that she would use after he would get beaten. So. And essentially Mm -hmm. he he was beaten in that courtroom. He was forced to surrender his wand and he was. Mm, The delicious symbolism of that. Delicious symbolism. (laughs) Can we work up to that though? Because I think there is some things that will help us. Get there get better. There. Absolutely, go ahead. I just had a little bit of Tourette's there. I'm like, I love the scene! In the f- it is It is a fabulous scene, and I definitely want to talk about it, but I want to do it justice. So I, I really think that if we hold off on that scene just a little, when we get to it, it'll be fantastic. Is that all right? Absolutely, that's, that's yeah. totally fine. I think that because these chapters, I mean, this is a chunk of chapters here. Um, I think because there's so much plot, and I think it's all equally really good, I think this podcast might be good if we do start from the beginning. I think I so, know. too. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Getting our way through, because otherwise, if we're jumping around a lot, I know. it doesn't make sense. I have uh, I have uh, story plot points that I want to address, a list here. So hopefully that will help us keep track. Right. The first thing that I really liked was Harry, we know, is back in school now. And I like that he's having to do parcel tongue in class. And most of the professors seem okay with it. I liked that she took the time to write the different reactions of the teachers in the classrooms. For example, when he was in McGonagall's class, like she didn't really acknowledge the parcel tongue. What kind of threw her was the fact that Harry's crest was different. She hadn't really thought it through. And it sort of bugged her, I felt, that he wasn't fully hers anymore. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I don't know if anybody else noticed that, but. I agree with you. She also seems pretty harsh in the book at times to Harry. Like their relationship, I think, is a little different in uh, Aston's work than it is in the actual canon because I get the vibe sometimes that, you know, like she's portrayed as this kind of really distant figure and you're never really sure just yet. Like, you know, she likes Harry, but she's kind of like she's more harsh than Snape is to Harry. (laughs) Yes. Sometimes I, I think, yeah, she's like one of those hard, difficult, not difficult, hard women set in her ways. I, I can't help but have like this image of a, a Quaker. <laughs> and I know that's smart, but I imagine her like this, you know, oh, well, she's just that. a tough old Scottish bird, you know? I don't know she's how just, this happened, but I have this image in my head now of McGonagall like dressed like a pilgrim. <laughs> and I don't know where I'm getting that Seriously, from. Seriously, <laughs> that's how I see her sometimes. Um, I'm sorry so if know- this was just said because I, I just had to step out for a minute for a very important meeting of the government. Just on the issue of McGonagall, if you just said this, oops, sorry about that. But I just want to say I personally love the way that the story is written to take into account how McGonagall has, you know, been the head of Gryffindor all this time. And you've thought what a great head of house McGonagall is. And then you see Snape and you're like, oh, she's like an anomaly. She kind of sucks. She never really does anything. And I just just said that. Ha ha. I wasn't here. I didn't know that. I'm smart. Yeah, I was curious. Uh, what are you making of not? Is that how you say his name? Theodore. Yeah, Theodore not. Well, no, it's Theodore weird. Not, yeah. How much? How many times this has happened to you? I read a fic once where Theodore not was the meanest, cruelest Slytherin you could ever hope to meet in your life. And, and hot and leather. I don't recall leather, but you know <laughs> it may have been there, and maybe I missed it. I remember that, and every time I think of, I see not's name either in the canon or in fanfic, I always default back 
to that scene. It was in uh, The Final Reckoning by Lavender Brown. And I just, I can't get that scene out of my head every time I think of Nott. So every time Nott comes over and, like, puts his arm around Harry, I'm like, get away from him! So <laughs> I have to feel like that's, like, it's the thing. When you, you're on, like, fanfic overload and you read too much fanfiction, you can't separate out characteristics, especially about, about the characters you don't know that much about. But in terms of the story itself, my thought was that Aspen writes characters that are redeemable. And if we mm-hmm. can convince ourselves that Draco Malfoy is a good guy based on extenuating circumstances. I can believe that Not is a good guy based on extenuating circumstances. So I trust him. I mean, I have reason to believe that things are hopeful. He could very well be lulling you know, Harry into some type of trap. But at this point where I am at the end of 83, I, I trust him. I mean... Well, she writes... I think it's because she writes Draco... Like, we get to see Draco the human... Not instead of Draco the evil Slytherin. And I think because of that, we've started giving Slytherins a chance. Like, I think before we had the definite, somewhat Gryffindor mentality of Slytherins are bad. Like, it doesn't matter who they are or what they are. Um, just because they're Slytherin, we claim them as bad. I guess sort of like Ron does, you know, when they're getting sword, sword into their houses. And he's like, there's never a witch or wizard. Didn't go bad. And Anyway, so I, I like that she's able to create these characters. Well, not create, but create versions of these characters that we question ourselves. Are they well, yeah, good? It's, are like those, it's like the, the Slytherin girls when Harry goes into the Slytherin common room. And I'm picturing, like, these little kids who are, like, looking up, like, ooh, it's Harry Potter. And, you know, they're staring at the scar. And he, like, leans over to them. And, you know, they're like, can you speak parcel tongue? He's like, sure. And he says their name in parcel tongue. And they're like, ooh. And they're, you know, I mean, that's the thing. It's like the mentality, get them when they're young before they can be taught to hate you. And Harry, I think, realizes at that point, okay, Draco, he probably thought was an anomaly. But he's probably thinking of these two kids. And they're the same age that Ron was when he was saying that all Slytherins are evil. And he believed that. I mean, so one of the things that I regret we didn't get to see more of in the canon. I think we got a little bit of humanity from Blaise Sabini and in, in Half-Blood, but you didn't get this sense that, and you see it a lot in fan fiction, that, that the houses are divisive and that there's more to the people, there's more to the Slytherins than just, you know, why are they evil? Why are they thought to be evil? How can, you know, what would it be like if you're a Malfoy and, you know, everyone in your family is evil? Does that make you default evil? Or do, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, what if you're the guy in the group of people who doesn't believe the way they do, but no one believes that you can have an independent thought? I mean, to me, that's a very fascinating story. Does the person give up and, you know, become what he does not want to be out of necessity because no one will give him a chance. I mean, that to me is a great storyline. And I feel like in the, in the canon, it was very, um, and we talk about this all the time. Well, yeah, it's almost like a comic book almost. There's no real depth in comic book fans everywhere are going to hate me now, but there's no real depth. Yeah, James like would totally disagree with you because I made a comment like that. And yeah. Yeah. I was actually just picturing Daniel's (laughs) brother charging at me. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Like Batman apparently is the dark and most profound person you could ever imagine. Yeah. Apparently comic books are very (laughs) deep. But then again, here we are. I will give you this. Batman (laughs) is very angsty. There's a lot yeah, of shades of gray in Batman. He was yeah, leather. Superman. Batman is the coolest. Oh, Ryan. <laughs> Batman doesn't is wear leather? I thought Batman is the coolest no, because he doesn't have superpowers. Exactly. And most oh comic book God. fans will tell you that. It's true. Superman, well, Superman, you just have to look at where they come from. And now we're getting off topic. I think Maggie Superman and I should have more angst than Batman. I mean, he's like no. an alien. A do-good alien. Batman well, not is, in the original series. Batman is an alien? Series, he's no, Superman. 
Superman. Okay, Superman. Clark Kent once. Superman well, is a Jewish is. allegory. Okay. Superman Seriously. was Jewish. Well, he's written. It's written <laughs> by. Is that okay. Jewish? The two guys. The, no, it's <laughs> not Jewish. How did we, we just apologize. go? How did we just ever- go from young Slytherins to Superman as a Jew? What just happened? That was like. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Jewish allegory. Superman is Moses. Honestly, don't you people read? Okay, the two people. Superman is not Moses because Moses what? didn't have a voice. Moses Here's depended on Aaron. See, Batman depends on Robin. If you're going to do that, is Moses the guy that was like, lost in the Moses. desert for like 40 years? That just okay. not inspire confidence and crime fighting abilities. But if you would listen to me make my point, you would probably agree with me. Well, I'm afraid like, he was a guy. All right, go, go. He is born. First of all, Superman was written by two Jewish guys in the 1920s and 1930s at the height of the Great Depression. Okay, and I mean, you know, of course, that Superman was born to two parents whose nation was being destroyed, and they sent him down the river of space to mm-hmm. be raised by <laughs> the river of space. I know everybody can make that connection. I don't believe I missed that. So, the, and then, so the parting of right. the Red Sea was like, right. Was when he was learning how to fly. I mean, like, I've read Honest oh, God. Hold on. Like, the parting of the Red Sea represents Clark Kent's ability to fly. Okay, seriously. <laughs> Clearly. I, read, I have read academic <laughs> papers that make this point very well, and I am not making any sense. I give up. But then again, he also, he also <laughs> dies and comes dying. back. Have you checked the references of the authors of these academic papers? I no, it made complete sense at the time. I was going, this makes a lot of sense. I have a question: Is it possible you're 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 not getting it right as you're repeating it to us? Because I don't see (laughs) the river of space and the parting of the sea of flight. Okay. I'm no, no, no. serious. Superman wears red and blue. The red represents the Red Sea. Okay. And the blue there you represents go. The, <laughs> the water of the Red Sea. Jen, go take your meditation, will you? And the blue represents the red water. As I fail miserably, let's go back to a year like that other, which is what we're all here to talk about. And that was written by, I believe, that husband in the set line. I know we talked about this a little. I want to talk about um, Harry is going back to school. Now, when I was reading it for the first or 15th time, I thought that this was a little... Like, I was worried that this was too soon for Harry to go back to school because, one, I didn't feel that Harry was emotionally ready to go back to school. And, two, I was like, oh, my God, if he goes back to school, there's not going to be any more drama. Oh, please. And, uh, no, seriously, uh, oh, this no. was an honest concern. And I don't know if anybody else felt like no, that him going to school was No, there was going to be drama like it is. This is why I, I, for you. I, I felt he had to go, and here's why. I don't remember the exact chapter, but the story begins, you know, Harry's in school, and he gets the leather in the Great Hall, and, he, you know, he goes to, to Surrey and all that stuff. So Harry's been away from school since, like, chapter 10. It's chapter 74. Yeah, it's we're time eight. to go. And it like and, and I, no and like seriously and I know we said this when we were reviewing Seventh Horcrux and I was talking to her about this earlier today. I think sometimes if you've listened to my analysis of this fic as we've gone through it, I seem a little bit like I can't find my car keys. You know, kind of like that mentality in my because well, this is the best fic ever. Next week, 
I was very let down. The next week, oh, that was good. The next week, yeah, <laughs> how's everybody doing today? So, and, and I've been thinking about this. One of the things, and it's perception versus preference, I guess, is the is a, is a really actually crappy way to put it. But let me try again. Um, can't be any crappier than my Superman is Moses analogy. No, that really took that really took the heat off me, I, and I do appreciate that. She was actually able to sort out my winter wardrobe. So don't feel too that. bad. I was able oh. to sort out my winter wardrobe as you were saying that, so I think I was just laughing too hard. I don't right. think it's funny. <laughs> Jen's like I blew a stitch. All right, so oh. love you, Jen. <laughs> Hug. <laughs> Oh, can I just tell you this? I'm putting this picture of this kid up online. My coworker has um, a nephew. He's Wait, one year old. What does this have to do with you like another? Can you I'm finish getting, your- Yes, I'm getting there. I'm, and, he, and she brought in this kid. He's one year old. His name is Jacob. He comes into to my office yesterday wearing jeans, sneakers, you know, baseball cap. He's bald and a t-shirt that says, I still live with my parents. He's a foot tall or like two, however tall babies are. And he's the cutest little kid in the world. And he comes up to you, never seen you before in his life, comes up to you and gives you a hug. Like he loves to hug everyone. And it was so funny. I guess, I think it's either his dad has a beard or his uncle has a beard. Long story short, I have a beard. I'm walking down the hallway and he's in his aunt's walking down and he sees me coming. The minute he gets next to me, he grabs out, grabs me, jumps into my arms. He, he wants me to hold him. So I start holding him. He looks at me. He gives me a big kiss on the lips and then he rubs the top of my head. <laughs> and I start like bawling instantly on the course. So babies love me. <laughs> so I called Dan. So I called Dan. See the picture of him holding the little newborn. Oh, it is precious. He is the cute. You are the cutest guy. Thank you. you ever and doubted the nickname and Puggles. The so then I called Danielle and told her the story about the baby. She's like, yeah. <laughs> so and we're all like, oh. Okay, so you're like, no, no. I asked for the sunlight. It. All right. So. One thing I was thinking is the way this story is written, this story is a very well-written, very realistic tale of, you know, of day one, Harry, you know, in the Great Hall getting a letter up until whenever the hell the story is going to end. And it tells a full story and it cuts out very little and you get to see the progress. No, it's not, no, I'm, I'm very serious. Most fix how the next week, Harry, no, it shows you every single thing that happens. And I think sometimes issues I or others may have with the story is that we're accustomed to Harry has a fight with Draco and then the fight ends. And then it's two weeks later and Harry's going to class and something else happens. And it, and it jumps you around the action and it does show you the slow moments so that you're able to understand in your mind, you know, how these characters lives are. I mean, I'm, Fix aren't good that cut out all of the of the human characteristics in the downtime and just show us action, action, action. Because then you don't get a feel that these people have real lives. You feel like you're watching like a like a cop show. Like you don't see them go home. You just see them when they're at their best. One of the things about the story is that you know something big will happen in chapter sixty. And then it's very slow up until chapter 67. And then something big will happen in chapter 67. And you can appreciate it because you've lived the downtime with the characters. But I think one of the things that sometimes may be difficult for some people is that you're, you're reading the downtime and you're reading the downtime and you're reading the downtime. And I'm like, okay, uh-huh, okay, I got that. It's different from what I'm used to reading. And there's many times where I prefer it. And there's many times when I'm like, okay, come on. I feel like I've read this 50 times. So I think sometimes that's one of the things in this fic that may throw me off week to week. But you know what? 
maybe I can't be pleased. Maybe if this fic was 50 chapters long, I would say, okay, well, you know, th- this is totally unbelievable because you didn't show us Harry learning that. So it's, I think... I, I think that's a fantastic point that you... I, I think any anyone who loves the story feels the same way and anyone who is not a fan of the story may feel the same way about the ups and downs. And I think that... What what's so interesting about her as a writer is that she can write the roller coaster and she can kind of my personal opinion is, yeah, there is some slow moments, but there but it's also like it's very much like real life where she takes you through every agonizing moment or every dull. You know, it's like I don't know what I was trying to say. Yeah, I mean, oh, if it ever comes back to you, you let me know. No, but but, yeah. <laughs> but I like that it gives you enough downtime to appreciate when all hell breaks loose, and then you're you you can understand the emotional frustration and impact of it because you were just going, okay, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And I remember being one of the readers, like in the Yahoo group, like when we were having chapter sixty three posted, and then chapter sixty four, and then sixty five, and going, okay. <laughs> What's happening? What's going to happen next? And like it being so frustrating. And yet my intrigue was so great that I couldn't, I knew that, that it was leading up to something. I just didn't know what. Yeah. And, and I have to well, say that it's you, difficult. Oh no, I was going to say, I think you just have to agree also though, that the fact that she can't stretch it out like that takes incredible patience for her as well, because I can't even imagine how anxious she is to get to some of these parts when she's writing them, you know, but yeah. she takes her time to build like the perfect story. Yeah, it's like dot dot dot, and then they all died. Like it's like you're like I know what's going there. It's like one of the things that like, and this is maybe my reaction. Now I'm a slow reader. I gave Mike after the end to read a week ago, and he finished it in like six hours. Like I have no idea how you you and Shane. <laughs> I don't know how you people do that. Like I even call Jen. They, like he's like, I'm gonna go read it now. And then like ten minutes pass. How's it going? Chapter seven's good. A couple minutes later, he's like, I'm getting near the end. I'm like, what the hell? But, oh my god! <laughs> give it up. He exaggerates slightly. How long did oh, it take okay. you to read after the end? Um, that night I finished it in the morning. So how many? So I started hours? at like what ten o'clock. Finished it like I don't know nine the next morning. Did you was sleep? sleeping in between? Yeah, I slept in between. Okay, so that basically is exactly oh. what I just said. So, <laughs> <laughs> like one of the things that I'm, I can't do that. I'm a slow reader. Like I couldn't even finish the last chapter tonight. So. I love the last chapter, Aspen. It was great. So yeah. as I'm reading through it, the one thing, when Harry went back to school, I literally was expecting everyone to be like, oh, my God, it's Harry. He's a lot. Because like, I feel like he's been gone for so long. He's been gone for most of the year. And it just, it, like, that was the thing to me. It just seemed like I'm like, he's got to go back. He's got to go back. Because I've done that before. I, I had my tonsils taken out when I was 13, 12 years old, and I had uh, to have a follow-up surgery to it because there were complications. I was out of school for like three weeks. And once you're out for that long, it's really hard to get back in the swing of things and go back. And I had to, or else I would have fallen too far behind. But I can't imagine just you're out of school for six months and having to go back. And like, it seems like you'd have to really settle in. Like I was expecting he would walk in the great hall and everyone would turn like, Oh my God, it's Harry Potter walking down the hallway. Like, and we got that to some extent, but like, it just seemed like it was so long that had so much time that had gone by. Although I did want to kill Seamus. Oh, why? I really, I really, I did. I really liked the Neville moment. I love it. No, I thought thought Seamus was being, that was brilliant. I thought Seamus was being the biggest ass in the world. Like I didn't, I I didn't even with Neville's explanation. He was without the explanation. Yeah. But even with it, I thought, because I could understand what he was doing. I could understand it, but he was still being an ass. (laughs) Just being a jokester. 
No, I thought yeah, he was. I thought he was trying to be cruel to some way. Like I just, Aww. I did. I mean, I'm still picturing the three foot. She wrote thing. it that way because you're supposed to understand that Harry's hurt by it, and you're under, you're supposed to understand that Neville. Yeah. has got to explain it to him, but I I could see I think I could see past it a little. Because I was the kid who got made fun of all the time. You know, one of the things about this chapter, it's like the, char- the, the characters brought out so much emotion for me in, in these chapters more than I think any other ones. You know, Lucius Malfoy, um, you know, the case which, you know, like, you know, the anger you have towards the other caseworker who leaked Hermione's letter. Like, you, you really want the bad guys to get it in these chapters. You know, Professor Aaron and just, you know, like... The, the oh, I hate him so much. Yeah. I hate and, that man so much. And it's like... It's, it's stupidity too. Like, does he not think you know, someone's going to tell Snape? Like, does he not know? You know, if it's if if Harry's taking his newts in the year and he expects to be the he's a moron. Yeah, it's like, I can honestly say I've never met anyone like him. He's a horrible. I'm picturing Bill O'Reilly right now. Yeah. Sorry, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's like, like, I was like watching him on TV last night. I'm like, this man makes me so mad. But it's, it's like. <laughs> I did. I'm, I'm, I'm like watching him. I did the same way watching Anderson. It's fine. No. I'm watching kidding. who? Anderson Cooper. It's fine. No. Anderson Cooper needs to take a break. I'm sorry, the man. <laughs> I can't watch that. He was like you yelling can't. at a senator on TV after Katrina. She's like, Anderson, my house just fell down. Can you please be nice to me for a minute? All right. Off of Anderson uh, Cooper, though. But um, I'm competing him because I don't have any idea who these people are. He's he's an anchor on CNN, and Bill O'Reilly's a blowhole from Fox News. Um, I can't watch either one of them. There you go. Um, I I come out of the closet as an equal opportunity hater. You've come out of the closet, Lady Chi. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, can I just yeah. say oh, I love. I love the point in these chapters when Harry is explaining to Ron how much he loves Draco. And Ron is just like, Ron is like, like Hermione is like, and Ron is like, and Hermione is like, Ron, you idiot. (laughs) My notes, I have. So quick to jump to those conclusions. What do you you have, Mike? I said in my notes, I wrote down uh, a Jen moment because I was thinking of her as I was reading. I am not a verb. Oh, no, just because he's like, you know, like, are you snogging Draco Malfoy? <laughs> I wish I was. Jen screaming, like, in leather, in leather. <laughs> okay, Jen, you have your... You want to talk about the funeral? Go ahead. Okay. I want to talk about Fancy's funeral. All right, as soon as she stops singing, you can do whatever you want. Sorry, I I like, okay, we already talked about how she goes and she dry, describes things in detail and, and things like that. What I like most about Aspen is her her imagination and creativity in creating aspects of the wizarding world that are totally and completely her own. For example, the wizarding funeral. I thought, I don't know, uh, Chi, do you remember in that Snape and Hermione fake that, I, that we read? And we liked so much the marriage ceremony because it was so unique and it was so, but it fit so well. Right. I have to say, when I was reading this funeral story, I loved the idea of the wizarding funeral. I'm glad that she went there and described. I mean, but this is, we have to remember, this is before book six, so we don't know how they do funerals. Right. At this. And I just thought that, that the way of um, how it wrote, I love the part where all everything was written in Latin and it was the wizard's yeah. thoughts. I thought that was the most beautiful idea. I loved that. I liked that a lot. I think that she's one of those authors that, um, like, there's two kinds of authors. Well, three. 
but we'll we'll just for the sake of time and simplicity. <laughs> well, it's really four chief. Um, you stop to think for just a moment. There are in fact four. Okay, whatever. There are those of us. Well, fiction writers anyway. There are those of us that like to build characters, and there are those of us that like to build worlds. And the third kind, of course, is those that can do both equally well, but you won't find them very often. And then, there's, and, and then there's me. And like, then there's, I write the theoretical you know, equivalent of stick figures. There you go. Okay, right. so there's... <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and I would put plot building in with world building, Mike. I would I would say that Aspen excels in world building. This feels like a more complex Hogwarts, a more whereas J.K. Rowling is kind of more of a Character. a plot world kind of person because her characters really aren't that great. Besides, oh, Harry. I think they're good. Um, and Ron, she gets and Ron. better. You she gets, she gets better. Yeah, she gets better as she goes along. But the world is the is the real charm of Harry Potter, and I think that Aspen picked her fandom well because if you can take this world that is so rich and so texturized and build on it, then uh, that sh- that takes some real talent. And I think she does that with the things like the mail order system that we talked about earlier. Yep. We talked about the Wizarding Funeral, Family Wizard- Wizarding Family Services, the WFS. You know, there's like all sorts of things that she puts in here that are just kind of like little quirks. You can just see her kind of sitting at her computer going, oh, that would be kind of fun. And then just kind of exploring that for a little while. She's one of those authors that doesn't feel like she has to rush to get to any certain point, which is at the same time an advantage and a disadvantage. I just want to say one thing. One thing I was thinking about reading these chapters is she does a great – this feels like the muggle world. Our world, and, and let me say what I believe about, about how I am interpreting that. I mean, you can read fix where it's totally natural for you know parents to have complete you know autonomy over their children. They can beat them, and you know the government has no say in the matter. I mean, there, there, you can write a world which is very different from ours, where the rules work differently, and they really stretch to make the rules in this world similar to ours. If you are deemed a danger, you can be removed from school. If you are suspected of beating your child, you know, DSS is called in. There are rules that you can understand. People react in ways that you can imagine yourself reacting. People get depressed. People are afraid. People are jealous. I mean, it's it's a real story. You know, take away the potions and take away the setting, and this could be the story about, you know, a guy who works in the department store. I mean, it does not matter what the plot is for these characters to be real. One thing keeps jumping out at me, though, and I know how Aston tried to massage this plot point. Like, this is the one thing that really jumped out at me. I'm curious what you guys think. Now, they say that Wizarding Family Services is like an adjunct office to the ministry. It's technically part of the ministry, but it's not under Fudge's direct rule. You know, it's, it's a quasi-independent right. agency. But the thing is, that, okay, Lucius Malfoy at the end of last year is arrested, you know, breaking into the Ministry of Magic. And, you know, it, it, it is discovered that he is in league with Voldemort and he is thrown into Azkaban. Now, it was referred to earlier in the story that Aspen went a route that J.K.R. didn't. You know, J.K.R. had Fudge be exposed, had Fudge be humiliated publicly and thrown out on his keister. And you're like, none other, you have Fudge hanging on to power and Fudge still, you know, pushing ahead and the public still being blind to Fudge. And Lucius Malfoy is released from prison. And here's the thing. Family, you know, Wizard and Family Services is powerful enough to take Draco and make him a Snape. They're powerful enough to take Harry away from Snape if they're, con- they're concerned that Harry is being abused there. So that 
that's real. That's like that's the real world. But they believe that Lucius Malfoy ordered to hit on his son. I'm sure you know many people know he's you know he was someone who tortured a child, and he's still sitting at board meetings. I mean that is the thing that didn't feel real to me. I mean they're sitting in a meeting trying to decide if this kid in front of them might be dangerous, and everyone's responding, "Oh, politically it would look terrible if we let him back out into the school and something were to happen." Blah blah blah. But the guy in front of you has been accused of these terrible things, has tried to kill his son. You know, he sent a you know, deranged DSS worker after his son, and he's still sitting there. Was, did that feel weird to anyone? Or just... I just I took the mentality of with money comes power and just sort of left it at that, I guess. Yeah, I mean... And, and... Well, that, and we know... Sorry, I just say, well, we know that at least two of those people, the two kids who were called to testify... Was it Eric and, like, Bella Donna or something? Bella, yeah. They were both, or gosh, I can't think it was called. You know, they had memory charms put on them. I, I don't know that Fudge did and the rest of them did, but if those guys had, you know, their memories, you know, fiddled with, then yeah. who's to say that the rest didn't? You know what I think it would be? I think it's like, and maybe the thing that, it's like, okay, picture you're Tony Soprano when you're this very powerful mob boss. If anyone asks, you work in the dumpster business. And right. you know what I mean? Like, hey, I'm just a simple, honest, everyday guy. Don't worry about me. This would be like, you know, if George Bush were caught on TV shooting kindergartners and then shows up for work the next day. Well, but he's a powerful person. Can, but there's some well, things that you can't, you know what I mean? There's some things was, that you can't get away from. I mean, they've got like DNA you know, evidence on this well, guy. Yeah, but well, if they smoke up, that, you but, might kill them. I mean, uh, it is sorry. a mafia situation. I would say, though, first off, I don't think everything Lucius has done is common knowledge. Like, I don't think the caseworker incident is common knowledge. I think a lot of the stuff is just we know it because we're kind of in under the, the radar. But they were and, able to. And the take... other thing I'd say yeah, no, go ahead, is that go ahead. Lucius was already accused in the books of being a Death Eater. I mean, he was a Death Eater. And when we see him in book one, he's already it's already been kind of swept under the rug once. So I don't think it's that unbelievable. I mean, but he was arrested at the end of last year and he was in prison for a while before he got out. And there was enough evidence against him to get Draco taken out of his custody. Now, I know the way she's doing it. You know, while Wizard and Family Services may believe it, the ministry doesn't and they aren't linked at the same. So one can be very anti-Malfoy and the other can be very pro. It just seemed weird that, that Lucius wouldn't have the care in the world when it's you know relatively common knowledge in many circles that he put a hit out on his son. I mean, I, that's just... I know how it's written and there's very little she could do with it. That was just the thing that jumped up. I'm sorry. Please keep going. I'm sorry. I found it ironic, actually, that in the books we're constantly complaining that ministry has too much influence on the school. Like, you know, the ministry being able to influence the school is a bad thing. And then now in chapter uh, 77, we're like, why won't you listen to the ministry? They've said uh, Draco's innocent. Listen to the ministry. Why won't the school listen to him? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the same thing, too. And we were talking about this last episode, just the power that Dumbledore has. And Dumbledore's, you know, ordering, you know, the, the you know, he. I want to see the transcript before you release it. I may have to make a few corrections here with my red pen and, like, this absolute power that Albus Dumbledore has. And, you know, like, there's even a reference in these chapters. It was Bella and who was the other kid? The other, um... Eric. 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 Bella and Eric. Oh, yeah, we gave him some Veritas... Uh, I can't, I can't. Veritaserum. Veritaserum. We gave him some Veritaserum, and here's what we found. It's like, 
what? <laughs> like, you're, you you can't drug kids. Oh, yeah, Dumbledore did. So it's like, <laughs> only like, Dumbledore can do that. Yeah, only Dumbledore <laughs> can do that. I'm like, you bastard. And I'm like, oh, sorry. I'm feeling, sounding like Jen here. But it's like, that's interesting because, you know, we're always like, oh, you know, fudge the bastard. Then we're like, why can't Dumbledore do what fudge does? It's just like an interesting <laughs> dynamic. I don't know. It's, it's, I just it's, think it's so interesting what parts really stand out at, at, at different people. Like, I know every time I read this, something new. shouts at me and i just i love hearing y'all your point of view of what you really focused on does that make that makes a lot of sense i like points that jumped out at me the whole scene when draco is expelled and has to give his wand back to lucius oh my gosh draco crying draco crying in the hallway i don't know why but what, what did everyone think of the drape the draco snape scene Took me. I, I'm still not totally used to thinking of him as Draco Snape. It kind of grates on me a little bit when I read that. It does. Well, I think it's supposed to. It's not supposed to feel natural yet. Well, no, I. It's, it grates, but it makes perfect sense. I can't picture Snape as a Snape. To me, seems like a first name because everyone's been calling him Snape for all these years. <laughs> it's, I know. <laughs> it's like and Malfoy, like. Yeah, it's like it's like Draco's, and I just like and I listened to these chapters on my iPod. So the way the computer was reading was like Draco Snape, Draco Snape, Draco Snape, and I'm like, haha. And it was just like it was like I, like it just the way it came out just was was very amusing to me. But but Jira's right though. I think it really fit the plot. It was the logical place to go, and I knew and well, I knew he wants to distance himself from his you know his old family, and you can't blame him for that. Yeah. Well, in he doesn't want to, you know, be like associated with them whatsoever, even in name. Speaking of so names, else is he how going many, to go to? How many people here have teachers for parents? Uh, my father used to be a teacher. My mom is anybody else's parent a teacher? Nope. No, really. I just think it's so funny to me. Like the parts that really stand out to me are when Harry differentiates saying professor. And, like, you can't turn it off from school to Snape. Like, I had my mom when I was in eighth grade, and I called her mom, and so did all my friends. And it was never, I was, it was never Mrs. Martindale. Like, I never called my mother anything other than mom or mother. But your mom also isn't Snape. That's yeah, I think true. Harry is complicated by the fact his past history with Snape gets in the way of it. Like, I think when he's in the, the student-teacher mode, he feels much less comfortable with them than when he's in the parent-son mode. That's true. I just thought it was really interesting, and that's kind of what stands out to me, because I would never... But it's very Snape-like for him, to. But it's hard. I think it's confusing for Harry yeah. that he can't... He can't, He doesn't see teacher Snape and dad Snape as the same person. Well, there's enormous formality um, between Harry and Draco towards Snape. Everything is, you know, sir, yes, sir, and, uh, you know, I expect you to obey me. And there's even one line in here where um, Snape even says, I expect you to obey my command or obey my order or something like that. I don't remember if that, what the exact wording was, but I'm remember, like, I'm picturing it like, Harry, I order you! It was just like, like I'm trying to picture, you know, my, the, my dealings with my own parents compared to that. And one of the things I really welcomed about these chapters, especially after the Draco adoption, is the kids you know, drive their parents crazy. And parents <laughs> have white hair for a reason. And I really welcomed Draco being an ass because Draco should be an ass. And, you know, any complaints I may have offered over these chapters of, you know, Ward Cleaver Snape or the little drummer boy, you know, at Christmas time Draco is that it didn't <laughs> seem like real kids, especially kids who have been abused as children. This just doesn't seem the way that normal people would react at times. So sometimes it right. seemed too 
Well, I yeah. thought Harry I, at times seemed like Ward Cleaver. And I, I was just Harry, going, oh, my God, have an emotion that's not yeah. so, like martyring yourself. Like, quit. Well, yeah, I, I thought Harry was as bad as Draco in his own way. Like, I he thought it was, he was clearly, tr- like, I, from, I remember from my own sibling rivalries, he's clearly trying to make himself seem like, like the more Draco acts, the better Harry's an act to show how he good is, he is. He's typical younger like sibling syndrome. Yeah, good son, bad son, exactly. Yeah, and it's like you even love the way that Snape is at his wit's end here with the whole thing, and Snape is even like, how do you think I should react? Was I too harsh? It's like Harry's like, for the better part of the story, is the 12-year-old son. He's like, oh, no, I think you should ground him again. <laughs> like, it's just like, <laughs> it's like you're asking him. It's like, but that to me made sense for for all of the sir yes sirs obviously you know that's not the exact dialogue but you know for all of the you know you must completely obey snape in every possible way and as much as snape knows everything about everything all the time about everyone you have snape who's like running his hand through his hair saying i don't know how to handle this kid i'm not a father like this is my first time doing this and that felt real to me as much as you know reading nine chapters of fallout from one scene you know sometimes you know grates on me I like that fallout. I mean, that is what real people do. I mean, it's realistic to have days of downtime where the most exciting thing that happens to you is, you know, you found five bucks at the laundromat. But, you know, (laughs) it's exciting and it's realistic to have kids who are brats and kids who are trying to get in better than the other kids. And that's just that's life. That's what p- real people do. Just so Poor everyone Jen. knows, Jen is on time-delayed like I... medication this evening. She is going to collapse. I am. In exactly at two hours and 13 minutes. <laughs> no, it's okay. I do want to start moving on to um, talking about Draco a little bit. Sure. You know, it doesn't... You know when you're you're reading about a character and you're reading about a character and suddenly you get to a line and your heart just goes out to that character because you realize at that point how much that character has been, has been through and how much he's lost and how much he's gained. And yet sometimes the, on the, the scale, the things you've lost are much more close to heart and, and much more hurtful emotionally than the things that you've gained. And although you're appreciative for the things you've gained, what you've lost is, is so much greater in your mind. And I just feel like there, Draco um, and Harry, where Draco begged Harry to do his magic with the mirror and the picture. And Harry wants to do that. He wants to show him Pansy's funeral. And it won't work the first time because Harry feels guilty because he knows he's not supposed to be doing that. And Draco has this line that Aspen wrote. And it was just so simple. And it made me almost burst into tears. And it's Draco goes, do you want me to beg? And he's serious, and he's solemn, and, like, it's horribly pathetic. And in and, and such a sad, not like a, you're pathetic, but, like, such a horrible moment. And it made me think about, it just made me start thinking about all the things that he's been through. And I think that it's important to talk about what he's lost versus what he's gained and how he's feeling emotionally after the trial. Yeah. Because pretty much Draco's been up and down, but... But pretty much he's been very head high about all these things that happened to him. And it's almost like they kicked a puppy, the puppy fell over, and then they kept kicking him. And that's how I feel like where Draco is right now. I was really scared. Oh, no, I was just saying, I was waiting for him to have, like, this massive emotional breakdown or something, you know? Yes. The poor kid has been through so much, and yet he's so resilient at the same time. But, you know, it makes me wonder if he really is or not, if it's just all a facade or if he's, you know, really just bouncing back. Yeah, what's the line that does it for me? It's right after 
the adoption in Draco, I, I can't remember what the line was. I wish I had it in front of me. It's something like, well, you know, why don't I just, you know, go get my money? Oh, wait, I don't have any. Oh, why don't I just go out with the love of my life? Oh, wait, she's dead. Oh, why don't in it? Oh, wait. And it's like, it just shows the breakdown of everything he's lost. He's lost his family. He's lost every possession he's ever had. He's lost his hope for the future. And you really get at that moment, you know, we've been reading through this saying, oh, you know, I guess that Draco murdered Pansy. I had no idea. And, you know, with all the different predictions we have, and then was Draco, fa- I'm sorry, was Pansy faking it? Was Pansy somehow involved in some type of master conspiracy? And you, you just don't know what's going to happen w- with the storyline. Then you get it at the end. You're like, okay, you know what? Draco was just someone who really cared for Pansy, and she's dead. And it's it's every mechanism, it's every outlet that Draco has is peeled away. And all he has left now are these two men. And, and that's his life. And that's it. And he has a mother who cares about him. He's only enough. 16. Yeah. Or 12, depending on how we're reading the well, story. Well, that's but. what I'm saying. <laughs> Does this prove for him, though? The good versus what he, what he, bad, what he lost. Yeah, it's... Is gaining Snape and Harry so much better than what he had before? In some ways, absolutely. In some ways, he'll always be a little bit broken, I well, think. Well, it's in some ways, it's, you can't... Re- like, think of what he had before. Before he had the memory of James Potter as his dad, he had the memory of a scream of his mother being murdered trying to protect his life. And he had the Are you mem- talking about Draco or Harry? Wait, I was talking about Draco. I know, but I'm going back to Harry for a second. Picture okay. everything. And it's, you know, <laughs> just go down the line. So here is, you know, everything that Harry has lost. But now he's gained Snape, and now he's gained Draco. And the price tag for, for gaining Snape and, and gaining Draco has been it's weakened his relationship somewhat with Ryan Hermione. And on some level, it has clouded Harry's impression of James. It's... You know, Snape is dad now. It's not James. And even though James isn't there, and you know, James, well, James is James now. James isn't dad anymore. Well, he's da- he's dad. He's dad. He again. has dad and James now, which he, is a little turn of. Well, that I, we talked about that last week, and how James okay. and how James is is back. But you know, if you think about it, Harry to to get his new family. He gave up the image of a long dead man as his dad, and he, you know, lost, or I shouldn't say he lost, his friendship with the two closest people in his life changed a little bit. But he still has them, and James, you know, his sacrifice is still intact, and Harry's much happier now. But you almost feel like Harry lost something. He lost something to get to where he is. So if you think about Draco, it's so easy to say, oh, he lost a mother who doesn't risk enough to act. She loves him, but not enough to risk her life, and a father who absolutely despises him. But he, I like the fact that Aspen recognizes and puts into her writing the fact that that's still a cost, and you can't just write off your former life because it, it's it's a part of who you are. It's how you got to where you are today. I was going to say, how did you guys feel about, you know, when Snape took away Sirius's mirror? And we know that he didn't realize what it was or the sentimental value it had because, I mean, after all, it's a broken mirror. But at the same time, you know, Harry connects that with both Sirius and his you know, former dad, James, his biological father. And, you know, even though he recognizes Snape as his, you know, his father now, it still is torturing him that... But Snape you know, doesn't realize away. that. Oh, no, of course not. But, you know, at the same time, we we do know that Harry still recognizes James for what he was. You know, he still means a lot to him. He hasn't just completely written him off or anything. Right. As I see, the problem is, is I can totally see it from Snape's point of view. Like I can understand why he's doing the things that he's doing, and he doesn't. It's sad. It's so sad because he doesn't realize that he's taking piece by piece 
what little Harry has of his parents and like, he just isn't thinking. Uh And it's really like, I know that the mirror, it, it comes up every once in a while. It came up in the dream, I believe. It came up. The mirror is just very interesting to me and, and the wording with the mirror in the dream. But no, I just, I think it's very tragic. It's, it's sad that the things Harry has to cling to are a broken. I think the thing, when the thing that hit me was when Harry was sad that Snape had the invisibility cloak and like he was back at school with, without it, but he knew that it was in a safe place. But, but it killed me when he went back to, to Snape and he was like, well, I hope you haven't thrown away the mirror. It, it wasn't just junk and like, even just thinking about it all this time, he has been putting like that past life in like a little box and he put it in the back of his mind and he hasn't opened it or thought about it. He's just started this new life. And I think in some ways you have to to move on sometimes when things are really horrible. But every once in a while, something forces him to look in the box. It's dark and it's horrible and angsty in there. It's very moving. And, and I know like that- all the fix you read. <laughs> like it's dark and it's angsty. <laughs> But uh, do y'all get that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I do. I mean, it's. I thought that was the most heartbreaking part of those chapters. <laughs> well, not the most. There's a lot of heartbreaking stuff, but <laughs> in that particular <laughs> chapter, there's it kind a, of remind me of. I don't know, sorry, keep going. Snaps you back to the end a little bit too. It makes you remember where the char- characters come from. Right, but I think the mirror is important. Yeah, I mean. When you, when you start, I love the scene in these chapters when Harry he's given Draco the well wish and. You know, Draco has just been such an ass during all these chapters that even Snape doesn't know what to say to him anymore. And, you know, Harry has been taking it and taking it and taking it and taking it. And finally, Harry just breaks down because Harry can't take it anymore. And he just starts sobbing and says, please tell me you didn't throw out my father's stuff. You've taken away everything that's my father's. Why would you do that? Even Snape did not make the connection that that was what he was doing. And let me say this. I mean, when we started this fic, a lot of people, you know, here, here's the thing. It's a, it's a Snape-Harry adoption fic. Not everyone is going to like it. It, it. It's very well written, and some people just aren't going to be able to do it. it it's, it's just it's the type of story it is. Some people just aren't going to be able to do it. And if you ask those people, what are, what are your issues with, with the storyline? Some people say, well, you know, through the writing, you know, Harry is – is is separated from every support system he has. He's separated from the tree from the trio for you know dozens of chapters. He's separated from the Gryffindors, from McGonagall, from you know you know he, he's separated from James, and that you know you know Snape takes his place. It, it, it's it is true. Everything is is technically true. But when you look at the at the way it's written, you know the, the map being taken away feels natural because it's a plot point because right. we need to find out what's wrong with the map. And the invisibility cloak, you know, after what happened last time, Snape has confiscated it, which that feels now that in combination with the map, it's starting to feel, okay, now we're coming up with many different plot reasons to take these things away. Why is that happening? And finally, at the end, Snape says, look, I'm giving the cloak back to you because this is not my intention. You can have this back. So on some level, reading that scene, and this happened last week, too, when, when Snape told Harry, you know, James is your dad. You need to call him dad. You, you know, I am your father, but he is your father, too. Moments like that really reassure me that Aspen knows what she's doing. And she's writing a fic both for people who don't like the way canon worked out and wish it went differently and people like me who love the canon but love alternate points of view. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to see scenes like we saw tonight when Snape says, I didn't consider that. You were right. I am sorry. Here is the cloak back. I mean, that stuff just, 
it, it and it brings can... out the negotiating, I think, as well, which is important for any because it's not like a dictatorship. It's like a, a real parent and child, and a parent does make allowances sometimes for the child, and sometimes they have to say no. But I Who's like parents that. that. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't my parent, but okay, go ahead. That was that was that was mine. My parents would let you argue a point, and when you were done, they would they would give you your point and explain their reasoning. And if and sometimes if you didn't like the reasoning, they would say, "Well, that's why, and that's going to be enough of it." But well, I think it's it, also too. It's out. <laughs> It's, well, that's the thing too. It's like if you if you really stop to think about it, Snape got Harry when he was sixteen years old. So you're not raising a kid from birth, and you're instilling in him from the time he was two years old. You know your your views on you know how you know you will speak to me and so forth, so that you know this person is always revered as dad. He he is the son of his potions professor, and he it. You know, you're at that point when you're when you're older and this family unit starts up that you can look at your son and say, "Okay, let's negotiate this," because you're coming into this as a person who has had a history with other people. So, you know, if if Snape raised Harry from the time he was an infant, I don't know if he would have these old negotiation sessions, but I think it's something that you need to have because of the growing pains now that they're older. You know? Yeah. I definitely agree. I wanted to uh, to also mention there, we're talking about attitudes and stuff. I, I know we brought up before in, in past episodes how sometimes the behavior is very 18th century <laughs> um, okay. between in the purebloods. And I thought and w- when Draco was, when they were taking away Draco's stuff and like he realizes and he's cussing and like he's pissed. <laughs> like Snape is like, Draco, you need to watch what you're saying. And he's like, nodding towards Hermione, which I thought was somewhat, like, hilariously. Like, it's, I love those moments where it's almost, it's, it's, it is a Snape moment, but it's not a Snape moment that you would ever have pictured Snape doing ori- originally, if that makes sense. Okay. And it still, I, it still yeah, applies to his character, but. Right, it's just, yeah. It's not something the, we'd ever seen. Yeah, I love that. And, like, he was like, you need to watch your language. There's ladies here. And Draco was like, "I'm sorry, Hermione." Like he'd cut. So I know that. I love her reaction to that, that, though. (laughs) Going with that, one of the things I really liked. I was going to ask Ryan about it, but he didn't read the chapter, so I guess he uh, misses out. (laughs) 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 That's right. I took the week off and just stared at it. Okay. (laughs) When they're in the therapy session, though, and like um, they're talking about the punishments, like. Oh, yeah, my dad fed me a poison fairy cake. And, uh, oh, yeah, that one time that teacher turned me into a ferret. And the therapist is like, oh, my God, what's, you know, like, she's ready to, like, you know, call in call the, the police yeah. or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about it. Like, it, I, Jen, you were a teacher, and I'm a uh-huh. mandated reporter. Ryan, are you a mandated reporter? I, I work with many mandated reporters, but I am personally not one. Okay. So, a I mean, what? you're in that position, a mandated reporter. A that what? means if. If I, because I work in daycare and I've worked in daycare and I'm certified to be in a daycare, um, if I suspect sexual abuse, physical abuse, something like that, I have to call required. I'm required to call social services on it. 
I don't oh. have an option. If I even okay. suspect, and if it comes right. out later that there's abuse and I maybe thought something, I can be held legally responsible. Legally, yeah, that's right. So I, I guess mean, every teacher has to, I guess that's part of the contract, I'm thinking. Right. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's I don't know if it's a federal law or a state law. But I know, I was especially because I taught DAEP, so I taught. I think it's federal law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it must be. It must be. Because it's, it's the same everywhere, everywhere I've talked mm-hmm. to. But, like, she would be a, I mean, if I were to hear somebody, you know, some kid thought it would be a smart idea to pour bleach in somebody's, that would be kind of like what I'm getting. And so the parent was like, well, I'm going to turn right around and put pour bleach in your food. I'd be going, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm calling social services on you. That makes sense to me because you just don't do that. I guess wizarding discipline is a whole nother issue. <laughs> yeah, did, <laughs> you talk about that. did you think it was a reasonable punishment? No. <laughs> Wait, which Sorry. punishment are we talking about? I think we're talking about. We, yeah. Are, well, I mean, because you don't with sixteen-year-olds. I mean, I Did don't we know. Answer that. What was what punish? Which punishment are we talking about? The cake. The fairy cake. Wednesday. Oh, like, the... Okay. I didn't know if we were talking about Lucius. Lucius's punishment, like, or okay. No, I think we've pretty much determined that's probably not appropriate for children, but. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's yeah. like it's like what do you do? do you? At least, yeah. I mean, that's well. The alternatives he has are, you know, the kids are going to become a death eater, and you know, we're going to completely lose control of them, or we have to poison them. I mean, is there another alternative? One I don't know that there is another alternative. I don't know. I would have. To have think y'all about never that. done something w- to someone where your parents made you do it so that you would? Well, I smacked my sister once, and my mom turned around and smacked me. I didn't think that was very fair at the time. But. How does it feel? But no, it's like... <laughs> yeah, that was how <laughs> But stop to think about this for a moment. Literally, you were going to poison someone, so now you have to eat the poison, so you'll know how it feels. What? That's, <laughs> like, I, mean, it, I question it Snape's sense, logic. So... On. Like, I wonder, like, yeah. you know, is this really, like, you know, Draco's defined, he's going to become a Death Eater? Just, you know, like, I wonder, was there not some other way around this? To kind of get I just don't understand how force feeding him poison is going to make him feel warm and fuzzy. Well, he didn't exactly. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> I want to. I want to make it clear that it wasn't. He didn't force. It wasn't like him. force fed. It was He's a choice like, that Draco had to make. I don't think he gave Draco a choice, though. I mean, he's telling Draco, "Well, well if you don't he didn't eat give this Draco cake, a good choice. Then, then I'm going to quit my job, and we'll make Harry leave school, and we're going to sit yeah. around." It's like I mean, John, it's like John Craven from Peacekeeper Wars. Surrender or die! Boom! It's like, still a choice, though. Yeah, I mean, but you engineer a choice, so there is no choice. It's yeah, like, like I didn't well, feel like you gave him a real choice. I mean, technically, yes, it's a choice, but it's kind of one of those things. If you're even like you know, a half. You gave him a very parental choice. You know. Yeah, well, it's like... You have to admit, though, either way, that's a really powerful chapter. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's like I mean, I watching how Snape. Yeah, it's yeah, like it's, it's a very controversial chapter. It doesn't feel like it's written in such a way that there are no other. It doesn't feel forced. It feels natural, yeah. and it it's very well written, and, and is I, therefore debatable. <laughs> yeah, so we can look back at it, and if you notice that we're not saying, "Ooh, why did Aspen do this? Why did Aspen do that?" But we're able to say, "Why did Snape do this? And why did Snape do that?" Because people make decisions all the time that they look back on and go, "Huh." That was interesting, I thought. And it's, mm-hmm. when you, I mean, so that's life. In, in terms of logic, in terms of what this happened, I mean, picture if this were like a legal setting and, you know, someone were on trial for attempting to poison someone and they said, well, we're going to poison you so you know how it feels. It's kind of one of those, we'll, su- we'll you know, submit. And I, and I. Yeah, but we'll <laughs> submit to, to your premise. You know, like, it's like, okay, say there's a murder trial. 
and someone was gruesomely murdered and you picked up a guy on the street and you said this guy on the street murdered that person. And you put that guy on trial and that guy, you know, and the, and the prosecutor goes out and he wants to put 20 different witnesses on the stand saying how gruesomely the person was murdered. You as the defense lawyer can stand up and say, Your Honor, we'll submit to the fact that the person was gruesomely murdered. We have no problem with that whatsoever, but you can't prove this is the guy who did it. So showing people a lot of scary pictures isn't going to advance their cause. They're just trying to frighten people. In this chapter, like, if I were thinking about this from a logical standpoint, I would say, okay, you know what? I'm pretty sure Draco knew it was going to hurt really bad. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure Draco understood at the time poisoning isn't fun. You know, is it something where maybe you think to yourself, hmm, poisoning, yeah, that that really hurt. But then when it happens to you, you wouldn't wish it on another human being. Uh, Meg, what do you think? About poisoning? Or just anything. Oh, I generally disagree with it. You, ju- you disagree with poison? <laughs> For I the most part. I want poison. to bring up the, the Dobby plot line, okay. which oh, I thought was yay. very interesting. I love Chi? this plot. Go on, Chi. <laughs> I thought you were yelling oh. at you like, Chi! Chi, <laughs> be nice. Um, no. I, uh, oh, no. Uh, this is actually my favorite part of the chapters that we read today. How many did we read? Nine? I think I read them all today. It was a and, lot. Uh, Jen, you I said, said it, it was a lot. It was a big chunk of chapters. I know. Mm-hmm. My head hurts. That might be the flu. But, um, <laughs> I, uh, um, oh, God, Ryan, I can't start a thought. Help. Uh, Dobby. Really like Dobby. Dobby. Okay. I really like this plot line. It's my favorite subplot because Dobby is taste testing all of Snape's food because he was he had been – in January. And so, of course, Harry gets mad at him for volunteering for that position. And Snape tries to make Draco apologize to Dobby. And I think it's interesting how there's kind of a shift in Draco's perception, having gone through this. And Draco and Dobby being Malfoy's slave. Right, right. It's just interesting to see that former slave, former master relationship where Harry really needs for Dobby to be, wants for Dobby to be kind and open-hearted and forgiving, and Dobby just can't make himself. It's like the, there really is like the situation where, you know, if somebody, if an African-American slave in the 1800s was forced to face his former master, who was apologizing for everything, how do you, in that moment, Dobby is very human. Yeah. And I think that's interesting because she kind of takes some somebody that in the canon and in the story even as well is definitively not human, and then sort of pushes him emotionally. Dead. Yeah, yeah, Dobby I mean, is dead. I mean, think just of, like Hedwig. Well, that's that's <laughs> the, well, that's the Dobby that we're used to. We're used to a Dobby who is so selfless and so giving and so pure that he would dive and take the bullet for anybody, and that's one of the reasons his death was so tragic in Deadly Hallows. So Mm -hmm. it's when you put him in the role. So it's walking into that scene, you have expectations knowing Dobby of how he will react. Dobby will do anything for Harry Potter. Dobby will do anything. You know, he's he's the bouncy little guy who's got 57 different hats on his head and 14 pairs of socks. And he's, he's completely 
pure after everything he's been through. He's kind of like Harry. Harry got through everything and, you know, barely a scratch on him in the canon. So it's interesting when you see him respond like a real human being and, you, and you're like, whoa, okay. When you see depth to Dobby, that... <laughs> no, seriously. It's That's like, what I was thinking. No, I agree. It's like when you're like, oh my God, Dobby moved me. Like, that's like, <laughs> you know, and you didn't have to die doing it. It's like, that's well, I have, point. Yeah, I have to say, I like that she allowed, I feel like in, in some, in some places, Dobby is even a little bit more thoughtful and smart than I ever gave him credit to for in canon. He stands up to himself against Draco. He thinks to do all this before. I like that she gives the depth to house elves. Like they have a special kind of unique magic. They, it's like they know things that wizards don't and yet they keep it secret and consequently wizards think that they are better than than house elves but it almost gives you a new side to house elves like you're thinking i like that because i wish that's how the seventh book would have been i know a lot of people were hoping for that from house elves to see them sort of display their magic in and i guess we did see that to some extent with dobby but it would have been and i maybe even a little bit with creature leading the army of house elves but i think it would have been nice to see more of their unique abilities demonstrated so i i did like that part of this too i appreciated it yeah i think Mm -hmm. you you always wish you see the scene where the people who thought they were all powerful and the people who thought they knew everything are outsmarted by something that they underestimated i mean it's the ewoks versus the star troopers complex yeah or it's like (laughs) astronaut versus oh any of the new people who watches star trek anybody anybody show of hands Take a shot. I've never seen it. Sorry. Uh, okay, I got no one. Okay. Old wow. Star Trek episode. Okay, who knows what a Klingon who? is? Who knows what I a do? Klingon. Jen knows I mean, Klingon is. what a Klingon because is. Because Christopher, okay. the guy from The Sound of Music, was a Klingon. Yes, he was. Yes, he <laughs> Babylon Good, 5 reference that I'll get. Okay, he's on the first season of Babylon 5. He knows nothing about Star Trek, but we'll get a mic there. Okay. And he really doesn't sing. It was All dubbed. Right. Classic Star Trek. Okay, we have, we have the humans <laughs> and we have the Klingons, and they're about to go to war with each other. And there's a planet that the Klingons want to use as a base near the Klingon border that they're going to use to launch attacks at, like, Earth and all these planets. So Captain Kirk and the Enterprise have to go, and they have to basically secure this planet so the Klingons can't get it. They go down to the planet surface, and there's these simple sheep-herding simpletons who live there. And the Klingons beam down shock troops, and and the Enterprise has to to leave to go get help, and the Klingons capture the planet. Kirk and Spock are down there, and they disguise themselves as the aliens, and they're trying to fit in, and they're trying to lead a resistance, and they're trying to get these aliens to fight back and save their home from the Klingons. And these people don't want anything to do with it. They're pacifists. They don't want to have to fight. They won't even fight to save their home. And Captain Kirk is trying to, you know, get them to become revolutionaries and defend their homes, and they won't do it. So finally, he says, fine, if you won't die for yourselves, I'll die for you. And he leads a per- he and Spock lead a two-man insurrection, and they nearly do it. I mean, they, they like take over the freaking planet, the two of them. And, you know, the Enterprise comes back with help, and there's this huge battle in orbit and this huge Which war. Which movie started. was this? This was an old episode. This is an old series episode. And, and, I you know, and, and the Enterprise and the, and the Earth ships are fighting to the death in orbit, and a, and a huge war is declared. And finally, one of the aliens says, enough, and he snaps his fingers and all of a sudden, every control on the Enterprise is like a thousand degrees. You can't touch the weapons. You can't touch. And the same thing on the Klingons. And he says, look, we have stopped all of your weapons everywhere in the galaxy. 
we are ending this war for you. And as it turns out, these sheep herding aliens are like a billion years old, and they're beings of pure energy who just take the form of simple sheep herders, but they're like millions of years beyond us, and they can snap their fingers and end the war. And they say, we are not going to allow you to fight. And, they, and Captain Kirk's like, how dare you not let us fight? You know, we, we can make our own decisions. He's like, you would choose to destroy each other because you hate them, and they would choose to destroy each other because they hate you. Screw you guys. Go back. So they send the humans back to their ships and the Klingons back to their ships and they end the war. And they're always and they're back on their ship and they're like, okay, I was arguing for war. I mean, they saved us all and I, I was pissed at them for and if if you just stop to think about it, it's you ju- you don't suspect, oh, you little sheep herder, you know, let us and and these people may know more than you do. And it's just that's it's it's like for anyone who's ever spoken to someone who doesn't speak your language, you talk to them very slowly and very loudly. Yeah, I hate that. Like they're mm-hmm. like they're like they're a for, like we have a person in my office. He's one of our computer technicians, and he speaks very very broken English. So sometimes I feel like when I talk to him, I'm talking to almost like a young child joking around because every time I'll say something, he won't understand it and he'll laugh. And he's a very funny guy. One day I realized that I'm like I talk down to him. His brain is twenty times the size of mine. Like the, he is a computer genius, but when I talk to him, I feel like I talk to him like he's a twelve-year-old because of just you know, the just language the, barrier. The language barrier. So it's like when you picture, the, as I have difficulty saying the words, language barrier. It's like think of Dobby. Okay, Dobby. You know you have to do what Harry Potter says. Okay, Harry Potter is you know you're you're completely fooling him, and you never suspect the fact that Dobby may be worthy of your respect. Your mm-hmm. true respect, not that you just think he's a good person, but the, the fact that he may know something you don't. I just think that's a great moment. I love it. Is it is a great. It's my favorite. I want to move on to um, the actual poison chapter. Okay. Mm-hmm. What did you guys I, – I have to say that as awful as it is to read and as horrible and hard and difficult – this is the kind of stuff I live for. This <laughs> 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 is my favorite of hers. <laughs> I knew it. As soon as I read that he was vomiting black, nasty stuff, I was like, Jen, is. this has got to be Jen's favorite chapter. Jen was reading this last Thursday. She's like, I'm desperate to read a fic about someone who's worse off than I am. I just think the whole concept of the poison, like it, the different stages. It seems and a bit like a disease, like, how okay. they go through the... Yeah. Have you ever well, like that? the sobbing, the the fact that Draco is curled up in a ball, sobbing his eyes out. This is Draco Malfoy. It's horrible. And like, I really liked it, though, because I felt in some ways like Harry has been through so much. And yes, Draco sort of did this to himself. Like, I, I very much feel that like it's duly, it's something that... It's it's duly deserved, if that makes sense. Deserved. It's just disturbed. Yeah. And so it's, in that sense, I'm kind of like, it's important for him, because I think that it's important for certain kids to go through certain things that, that help them get back on the good path. And sometimes it's hard, and sometimes it's horrible to watch. And I can't even tell you how many times I had to see kids, we had to be cruel enough and be mean enough that they would literally break down from misery so that we can ensure that they wouldn't come back there. Or Jen, you were in the wrong career field. I just have to tell you. I know. You know so Eric, Jen is like, I beat them down to their basic elements and I rebuilt them as quality. Well, and that's why it was really hard for me. And I think that's why I am not, I'm not still doing it today. You mean the fact but, that you're a care bear? 
Well, <laughs> you know, I can be a hard ass when I have to be a hard ass. And it took me about six weeks to realize that some of those kids, I guess we call it tough love, where some of those kids, you literally had to be cruel and, you know, or they would threaten to kill you and throw chairs at you and you would have to stand there and not wince or back down or be scared because it was important for them to understand that as angry as they got and as unfortunate the situation was, it really was for their own good and they were going to back down. It was important for them to acknowledge respect of some sort and forced respect. I have to say that's kind of the field that I was in, forced respect. But I feel in some ways this is very similar to that. It's awful that Draco's having to go into this, but it's important that he understands the consequences to his actions. And yeah, this is kind of a cruel way to go about it, but... Sometimes tough love. (laughs) Doesn't it seem as though this is like the fourth time Draco has done this, the extreme tough love thing? It's like Draco goes to Sawin and sees Harry literally be tortured in the most inhumane way possible. And, you know, he sees his father humiliate himself and he and he has an epiphany back in the 20s. You would think at some point that this part of the story may have lost some of the strength it otherwise would have if this were not like the the second or third time Draco has had such a traumatic experience. Does that make sense? It seems like like Draco needs to learn, oh my God, you know, like look what I was about to do. I was about to inflict this on another human being. You know, he's seen someone tortured inhumanely right in front of him, someone that he now cares about very much. I, I feel have to feel on some level if Draco was going to be scarred by something, that would, him. that would have already done it. I mean, not in the. I mean, obviously, there's a difference between seeing someone dehumanized in such a way and being that sick. But I don't know. What, what do you well, guys I mean, think? you have to realize he's a 16 year old boy. I mean, uh, not to be harsh on 16-year-old boys, but when you're an adolescent, I mean... Your it's okay, go for it. Is, yeah, Mike can handle it. <laughs> Mike's not, Mike's not anymore. 16 anymore, so maybe Mike knows a lot more about this than I do, but I know from, like, general psychology and human development that and in adolescence... A- huh? And I have a brother. <laughs> oh, God, do I have a brother? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> in adolescence, they, it's still really hard sometimes to process... Other people have feelings. I have feelings, but other people have feelings. And it's really hard to empathize, especially for men Mm -hmm. in adolescence, um, just because they don't have the right kind of receptors (laughs) for it. Plus, you're so overwhelmed with your own at that age. Right, exactly. Everything is so angsty to you in that moment. Mm -hmm. It's like when you're talking to your 14-year-old cousins or whatever, you just want to beat them upside the head because all I can talk about is, oh, my God, their boyfriend of six days broke up with them. Ah! You're like, I have bills. Shut <laughs> up. I was, I was I, so that girl. I have an escrow payment to make, and I don't give a damn. Like, yeah, I've been there. Okay. Well, that's exactly. why teenagers make the best soldiers. Um, yeah. Exactly. But, you know, that's that's the point is that in adolescence, sometimes you yourself have to go through it. You can see somebody else go through it, but it doesn't process You know, it's like how in my high school class, there was like three or four girls that got pregnant and they just, nobody ever learned from anybody else because, oh no, I did five or six of them, you know, I did not get pregnant. I did not get pregnant either. My best Uh, friend got his girlfriend pregnant. I did not get pregnant. That taught me a good lesson. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh my goodness. Those children. I feel so sorry for them. Can I just tell you a funny story? Really fast story. I am an only child. Mm-hmm. And I, like, Lucky. Like, 
like, like I like when I held that little baby yesterday. That was like the coolest thing because I, I I don't do babies a lot because like I I don't come across them very often. And um, Danielle and I babysat. <laughs> like they're not the yeah, like, like oh my god, child, <laughs> they're such a rarity. I got a kid. <laughs> I have two that you can have. But Danielle and I babysat her her cousin, who at the time was two years old, and we actually um, took her out to dinner at, at a local country club. We double dated with Danielle's parents. So we're in charge of this screaming kid who's taking advantage of the babysitters. And everyone said, you're very cute. What is your name? And I'm like, birth control. <laughs> 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 oh, so many ways, in so many ways. How's your six-month-old there? Well, he's he's not six. He's got to be what eight months old now. No, he's. Uh... I've been friends with you for months. Your kid has never aged. I know. He'll yeah. always be the same age as. Um. Yeah, we'll wait, sleep deprived mommy. Try to figure out how old her child is. <laughs> Quick, think fast. What's his hey, birthday? Fine. Yes. Klingons and humans have kids together. Seven yes, months. They can. Really? Wait. Yes. Seven months. Seven months. Are you sure? Did you of- honestly ask that? Seven months. <laughs> Did I ask what? Is- <laughs> Klingons and humans have babies met together. Your partner. <laughs> you met your match. <laughs> I have to much say- sense, though. How could different alien species have kids together? I have oh. to tell you, Spock is a hybrid. Spock is half human. Hey, wait, yeah. didn't that couple on Voyager have a baby together? Yes, they did. She was half Klingon. She was Are half they like Klingon. Donkeys so they can't so, yeah, so their baby is a quarter Klingon. And I remember she was upset because she had the forehead ridges. Yes. Yeah. Then, Jen, that was a good question. Can the kids of Klingons and humans have kids themselves? Sure. Really? Why? Because they're yeah. like, like when you mix two kinds of vegetables and then when you get <laughs> the vegetable... And then you can't make any more like it. It has no seeds. I like that you use the vegetable analogy because I can't picture vegetables having sex, and it's not disturbing to me in any way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's where I was going with that. (laughs) Meg, I would like to thank you for giving Jen the comfort to laugh again. I know. I needed that comfort level. Hilarious. Vegetables not not doing it. That makes more sense to me because... That seems like you're treating the, the different species, not different races, right? They're different, Whatever, never mind. They're different species. I have a question. How long are you thinking that question over for? Because <laughs> we talked about Klingons like half an hour ago. <laughs> Mike's oh, sitting there like, hmm. In my head, we're talking about uh, pregnancy. Okay. What? Uh, oh, yeah, babies. We're talking about babies. Oh, and by the way, Minbari and humans can reproduce together. Just throwing that out there to you. That, Choice that makes two. no sense either. They can do know. it. Why wouldn't they be able to? It's like on the sci-fi shows. It's like a dog and a cat having kids, isn't it? Well, I, mean, I really like words like quizics. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question. Who has been there? Who has done and, the thing where you try and seem smart and use a big word and you completely screw it up in front of like 17 people, one of whom is your boss? Like, who has done that? Time. I'm usually I'm usually the one that somebody misuses a word and I'm in the back going no no sweetie have no she really Miss Malaprop really she I can't imagine you going after <laughs> someone for using a word no I played Scrabble okay. with my boss and like I was using words like bed and <laughs> see, and he was like. I mean, oh, no. Words, not in Scrabble. Yeah. I had to say, discomfort. And I was like, this is what? Story. 
this is a great story about my family. So just so you know that like I come from somewhere and like all my psychoses come from somewhere. My parent, well, my dad and my brother and my sister. <laughs> Blame it so, on like, the pair. My dad, my brother, the super genius, and my sister, the super, super genius, are all sitting down to play this, like, super intense game of Scrabble. And it was, like, my brother's girlfriend's first time over. She's like, aren't you going to play with them? And I was like, no. She's like, why? I was like, because it destroys my self-esteem. And she's like, I don't understand. I suffer from depression. I wonder why. (laughs) And she's watching them play this game, and the word is roke. R-O-C. Q-U-E. I don't know what it means, but apparently it's a valid Did word. Did you just invent a letter? What? what? And are you <laughs> You're like, R-O-S-U-E. Like, what? Shut up. It's broke. And uh, they, like, they made, like, six words off of this word. And then, like, different, like, little two-letter words or whatever. And it got to, like, the winning score was, like, 300 and something, which is, like, impossible in Scrabble. And my Run. friend Maria looks over at me and she goes... So that's why you don't play with them. <laughs> and I was like, that's why I don't play with them. <laughs> I once played, I have seen each Star Wars movie once, and I played Star Wars Trivial Pursuit with Danielle and her cousin and her cousin's boyfriend at the time. One. And I have barely ever seen the movies, but I almost won a Trivial Pursuit because my answer to every single question was Han Solo or C-3PO. <laughs> I got the name right. And I I call him three CPO half the time. Oh, I would hate you. I'm a big C three PO fan. And I almost won, so it was kind of bad. Rogue is the American variant of croquet. Did you just look it up? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't not look these things up. Oh god. But yeah, they it's, played. It's, they played. They it's played an issue. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, that was what that did, was my. What story. did Jen just convince us to stop talking about? I can't remember. Quizzes. Um, We're talking quizzes. about Aspen's use of non-vocabulary words. No, can we not talk about vocabulary no. again? Oh god, no, we're not. not. We got letters last week. Like, I like, just—it was a I funny got, joke. We can appreciate I the got humor. Email. My favorite post on the forum was actually it was Kira saying, "Gee, I think your comment was a little mean," and she's like, "I know it really Sorry. was." <laughs> I responded. She's like, "I, it, you made me a little bit sick," and I was like, "Really? Me too." <laughs> I just felt kind of, I felt really bad listening to it. I felt kind of, you know, I don't know. Like, I'm sorry for Aspen. Well, well, my thing was, I just found it somewhat boring. Like, how long can we possibly talk about the use? So then I'm like, Do you okay. have to go on for another 20 minutes? No, then I'm like, okay, I'm finally, we got her off it. And then she's like, oh, I, I remembered mean, where I was. I didn't mean, I just thought it was funny that, that Harry didn't know that that Draco is being sarcastic with that word. I love the fact that Ron, like, you have this very tense tense scene and like like meg i want to ask you your impression of ron in these chapters but you know you have ron and harry like coming to blows and this is very you know angry scene and all of a sudden ron's like hold on a second you didn't find it odd that playing scrabble with draco malfoy a slytherin he happened to have the exact word he needed with a z and a blank square over the triple point (laughs) and you just didn't think there was a problem with that <laughs> and I love that Ron focuses on that. He's like, hold on. Yeah. 
forget the fact that you were tortured and your eyes were poked out, and forget the forget all every that you were adopted by. Let's Snape. talk about the fact that Draco Malfoy kicked your ass at Scrabble, and you didn't see it coming. Like this makes <laughs> you feel very bad about your chances for beating Voldemort that you caught beat at Scrabble by. Like it's just, I, I like that. Just I don't know. That seemed just crappy. Apparently, no one else. But I'm glad I liked it. I'm glad. You I just like Ron. He knows how to focus on the important things. Now, what did you think of Ron during these chapters? <laughs> what did you think of Ron That's during these chapters? That's what I've always loved about Cause, him. Because Meg, Ron seemed a little angry Dude. during a lot of these chapters. Now, what were your impressions reading Ron? Well, hmm. Mostly, I love Ron. So that was about it. Okay. <laughs> no, no, really, no. I, what do you mean, Ron being angry? Well, he was a little. Well, every every time it seemed like Harry opened his mouth, Ron was glaring at him, grunting, sighing. Throwing well, the his thing head with at Ron, and this is actually pretty true to canon, is every once in a while he sort of adopts some of Hermione's mm-hmm. more familiar characteristics, and I always like that. So, are you saying that Ron is perhaps someone who has anger management issues? No, I wouldn't say that. So, you don't think Ron has anger issues? Well, what do y'all think about Ron and Hermione, the couple? They fight like in this story. In this story, in this story, I'm rooting for Draco. Yeah, in this story, I'm rooting. I'm rooting for Draco. Yeah, for Draco to get Hermione. Yeah, Yeah. me too. (laughs) I am. I really would be pleased if that happened by the end. Ron needs to fall off a cliff. No offense, Ron. Yeah, um, that's okay. Jen, no, Ron is <laughs> I'm here for Ron. Meg, that's I'm getting you on the record of- here. What What is your impression? You're not getting away that easily. You're from Minnesota. Right? You know you're not. Where the hell are you from? You're from the one with the, the cows in the show. Wisconsin. You're from Wisconsin. I'm actually and, from California. And I know you're trying to, but you're in Wisconsin. Yes, Jen, you're from Wisconsin. I'm in Texas. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. I was confused. Okay, Meg, I'm no. You're in Pennsylvania, right? What? You were in Kansas. Where the hell are you? <laughs> Hold on. Sound check. Massachusetts here. <laughs> I told him that's why the one's in the middle, right? <laughs> oh, good God. I have no idea. We're just the big one at the bottom. It's hard to miss us. <laughs> I thought uh, we were. Aren't we supposed to be like the, like the most intelligent country in the world? Like, that's a crock. Like, we can't find ourselves on a map. <laughs> yeah, that's a load of no child left behind. <laughs> We're all looking at a map. Going, Don't get me started. Right. That act should be called Every Child Can Take a Standardized Test by 2000. No, it should be called Every Child is Left Behind. <laughs> We've been left behind 10 years ago. Exactly. Let's not even start comparing our... our I can't even talk about Left Behind. Let's go back to the story. It makes me so pissed Meg, off. Meg, what do you think of Ron in these chapters? You're being a <laughs> I'm like, um... I love Ron. Draco thinks Hermione's beautiful. I love when Ron thinks yeah. Draco and uh, I thought Harry said are that she was cute. Yeah, well, I may have exaggerated a little. Exaggerated just a little bit. Well, just I like I imagine Ron Draco is, in these chapters in leather. Ron is insanely jealous of Draco, and that seems interesting. I think that seems completely appropriate. Because Draco's going to steal Hermione. Really would, that be, would that be, Meg, possibly because Draco, you know, seems to be, even though he's poisoning people, and... Did anyone else catch the fact that when all of Draco's possessions were repossessed, his underwear was repossessed? <laughs> I thought it was really sad, and his eyes were rimmed with red. But his underwear like, oh, he was wearing was repossessed. I think that's hot. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, we did miss he's that. Standing Ryan. There and he's like, you know, even the shorts I'm wearing under my trousers were taken back. I wish his trousers had been taken. Uh, no and kidding. I, I <laughs> a towel or something, and then he'd have wow. been Draco in the towel. A leather towel. <laughs> There you another go. towel. Oh my right. god, that takes my imagination to Be- all before new Before we get to Meg's so in-depth it. analysis of the character of Ron, which we're getting to very shortly, <laughs> I just have one question. Draco in a leather towel. Okay, two <laughs> things that didn't seem right to me. Lucius Malfoy <laughs> being the convicted child beater who's also in charge of the school board. You know, no one seems to have problem with this. That was number one. Here's number two. Okay. I get the fact that you can you put all of your worldly possessions in a vault, right? And you have a key and the goblins go into your vault and they take your money out and they, and they bring you money when you get interest. And if someone buys something, you send them an imprint of your key and they presumably go to Gringotts and, and the goblins go into your bank and they bring you galleons. So the banking system at the ministry works somewhat like the way we do. Like if I buy a book off Amazon.com, I give my credit card number to Amazon.com and Visa sends money to Amazon and then I send money to Visa. That's how my bank sends money to Visa. That's how it works. Okay. So Draco has a vault, and Draco, with the money in this vault, has bought over the years clothes and, you know, gold shirts, and he's bought in food, and he's bought in, you know, luxury items. Draco has bought a lot of stuff with this money. So when he bought the stuff, the goblins took the money out of the vault, and, and, and they paid the merchants. So everyone's paid off. I got the impression from this that anything Draco ever bought with his money was repossessed by the goblins. Right, because it wasn't really his money ever. It was his money only if he met a certain number of requirements. For the trust fund. But that seems... But the money was already... Okay, so was it that the gob... That he bought everything on credit? And then the goblins... Okay, so, so what you're basically saying is Draco has very high credit card bills. No, I didn't get that at all. I no, got that was, just, I got, that's he like, was spending Lucius's money, and it was under Lucius's name. No, but Lucius already spent the money. That's like Jen. If I buy you a car, and then you know, I buy the car, and I pay the, and I pay the dealer, and the guy gets his money, and then you take the car and you drive the car around. Like if anything happened, they would take the car back from you. But this is making it seem like anything I ever bought my money with isn't valid, even though the guy got paid. So does Lucius get all of his money back then? Like that, that, I assume that's what I assume. Well, did what about Draco's presents that he bought for Christmas? Do they still have that? That was yeah. That's curious, well, but maybe it was because, after he was emancipated, or maybe it was because so, it wasn't in his possession. No, like what he should have done was given everything to Snape. I love how I'm looking at this from the business student perspective, but you know, he, I wonder if he had vocally said, "I give Snape everything that is in my name." But it, there, it's what not been in his name. It, it was Lucius's. Here's the thing. Lucius bought Draco a bunch of stuff, essentially. It's Lucius's money. Draco bought a bunch of crap with the money. So not Lucius... Lucius. Lucius Emeralds fun. and diamonds are not crap, Ryan. Uh, it's I, not I, Lucius's <laughs> money, though, is it? It's a trust fund. I mean, it, it, it was never... It's, it's like, you know, maybe it's his uncle's money, for all we know. It's in like a Malfoy trust fund. And it's as long Malfoy. as he meets certain requirements, he gets it. But it's not necessarily... The Lucius only way I can make sense of it is the goblins took everything back to give back <laughs> to the merchants because the goblins wanted their <laughs> cash back. No, because it didn't make any sense because I'm like, okay, so that's like saying if I – like anything I've ever bought in my life, I have to give back with the money I bought. But the money was mine at the time, so the stuff is – like, like – Well, I think, it's, I think it's a good faith thing. Like, it's kind of like saying – 
like you know, I'm gonna loan you. I'm giving you this money on the understanding that you're going to do this, this, and this. And if you don't do those three things, well, then you didn't keep your end of the bargain to get this money. So Jericho's requirements was he had to he had to go to school, marry a pure blood, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what that's kind of the contract. Good he thing agreed he's to not gay. When you receive the money, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I wanted to share with everybody how enraptured I was with this storyline. I have had a bottle of water in my hand. I was so concerned about this. I just poured the water over on myself. I just dumped again like a quart of water on myself and didn't even realize it because I was so concerned with where the hell Draco's underwear went. And I'm like, why am I wet? I just, I just dumped a gallon of water all over it. I just think it's an important shirt contest we have going on in the restricted section. <laughs> oh, can I just tell you, if you happen to be over the age of 18 and you visit our <laughs> forum, like, Kara, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I'm 20. Y- you have a fun night ahead of you when we're done here. You wouldn't believe what these people... <laughs> I'm excited. I'm emails at work. Good God, did you just see what Meg did in the restricted <laughs> section? I'm like, no, what did she do? I don't know, but she did it from work. And I don't think that's allowed. So, and I actually... I did not. I went in, yes, you did. Yes, you did. Megan. So I went in there yesterday. You can use your full name. And I'm looking looking around the restricted section and I'm like frightened. Like, like, it wasn't. I. Anyway. It's my form. I'm afraid to go in there. So, it's frightening. And, it's, and, it's fem slash wet, wet t-shirt night tonight at the... Uh, oh, good. Uh, <laughs> that's not even, as Chi said, sexual experimentation Tuesday. <laughs> you have sexual experimentation? What? Oh, my God. I was it everybody? I love the fact that Jen, like, just came back from the dead for this. She's like, I have four months to live. No, I'm better. Ooh, wet t-shirt contest. In the course of eight days. <laughs> Brian, I'm like, serious. Wait, I want to know what this restricted you're, section you're is. You're worried about Jen. You, you have to ask for access. I'll you give you access to ask, after the podcast. You have to ask. It's totally worth it. Yeah, if, <laughs> I'll try and remember. Yeah, I'll give you access after the podcast. Yeah, you can, yeah. You can get in there. But um, <laughs> you, you don't want to know what Melinda Leo did in there. That's all I can say. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, can I just say, like, Melinda Leo is like the, st- she's like, you know, this. She was this, getting rowdy again in there, too. <laughs> she this, was. She's like this very w- well known motherly author. Like, as soon as the lights go out in the restricted <laughs> section, oh, good God. Like, <laughs> oh, gosh, I was listening to the special episode six today. How'd you like that? Her little smut reading. Well, here's the thing. A lot of people on our forum, forum, you know, I've gone PM saying, was that really worth giving her so many house points for that? Here's the thing. And and everything is is relative to everything else. And I even pointed out today on the forum, you know, Dumbledore gave Harry and Ron 500 points for saving the school. They beat a mountain troll. They only got five each. I mean, there is some type of point discrepancy at Hogwarts, but but I digress. Here's the thing. Like, Like, I came into the fandom reading melinda's stuff melinda was like one of my favorite authors and now she's on a year later on my podcast reading smut i feel as though that should be awarded i i, I that's just my i agree with you okay well that's good that's one <laughs> you have a gold 
I just think it was worth 150 points because it was so ridiculously hilarious. <laughs> oh, and I have to tell you, she even sent me an email. Melinda, love you. She even sent me um, an email the next day saying, I hope you know this. I disappeared for a while after that because I'm a diabetic and I my blood sugar levels went crazy after I did that. So I had to go find <laughs> orange juice. Like we almost sent her into like, oh, it was bad. Diabetic it's shock. Like, yes, we almost <laughs> killed Melinda with that. Is it a coma oh, or shock? What's the one in your uh, Shock, and then you can go into a coma. Okay. From what my mom tells we me, we almost killed the author of the seventh Horcrux. Hence, we give points. <laughs> right. It's a short. Right. So sorry, so sorry. No, good. All right, Meg. Okay. We were just hey, getting Ryan. to your in-depth opinion. Oh yeah, yes, Luigi. Uh, yes, sir. I'm still talking about Ron. Yes, I'm. I'm heading home to Kansas City, okay. so I need to shut down my computer. Can you give me a call on my cell phone, and we can try to do this? On my cell phone for as long as possible. Do you want me to just leave? Uh, I can call you on your cell phone. Do you need a couple minutes? Yeah, can you give me five? Okay. See you in a few minutes. Let's talk about Ron. Yes, Meg. Can you please lead off the Ron discussion? Because I'm very curious what your thoughts were with you know concerning Ron, the way he's written and just the characterization. I'm very curious your thoughts on Ron. I feel very put on the spot. I could have. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I not give you enough time to play into the question? Ryan. Yes, ma'am. Well, uh, my feelings on Ron in these chapters were very similar to the way they were throughout the whole story. I'm not disappointed in her characterization of Ron for the most part, but like with many fics, I think that it sometimes gets a little cliche. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean... Well, here's the thing, the, I mean, it's, it's just not, that there's Ron has such a s- strong personality in canon. Mm-hmm. And when I say strong personality, I mean I love it. When other people say strong personality, they may take it to mean, like you were saying, he may have anger management issues or he's obnoxious, insensitive, uh, oblivious, some things like that. And I think sometimes those are getting sort of harped on a little bit. Well, would you not think, though, that... Uh, well, two things. Uh, number one is... Ron scene are, are we discussing here? I'm talking... Cha- I'm talking throughout these chapters because it was one thing that jumped out at me throughout these chapters is that we had the scene with Ron when he's with Harry during the Lumos and he sees Snape um, humming to, uh, well, he wasn't singing. He was, as I recall, humming to Harry and he realized that he was wrong and Snape is not actually a child molester and he may have gone overboard <laughs> and he you know, defended Snape and Harry and their, and their, I almost just said their marriage. Oh God. He defended, <laughs> I know we can save this marriage. He defended their, their um, relationship to Hermione. And with these chapters, it's, he's on board with, Snape, and I've forgotten how much that was not the case with um, Draco. And yeah. when you go through these chapters, it seemed like every time Draco breathed, Ron was sighing, or Ron was glaring, or Ron was like, you know, getting ready to punch someone. And it just seemed like like there, there's just such great animosity there. But the one thing I see with it is this is an extraordinary circumstance. I mean, Ron in the canon you know, it can be an ass part of the time. And <laughs> what, what, what? Well, you know, what I think it might be yeah. is, you know, like, Snape has earned Ron's respect up to this point. Because, I mean, you know, you see in these chapters that Ron starts to refer to him as being Harry's father, not just Snape. Right. But he hasn't exactly earned Draco's respect. Well, Draco yet. hasn't earned Draco so, hasn't earned his. Yeah. But, yeah right. Sorry, that's what I meant. Draco hasn't re- earned his. And so, you know, Ron's you know, maybe going to still be a little more immature when it comes to Draco, despite 
you know, that he's kind of trying. Yeah, I mean, this I is like Draco. I don't know if Draco could, though, really. Because I, I think know. that it's more of a jealousy issue. Really? Yeah. I do. And honest, well, I'll compare it to a canon example would be Ron's jealousy in reference to Victor Crumb. And obviously that is sort of a more more a romantic jealousy. But they were given the example that even though Ron idolized this person, he all of a sudden hates them under the right circumstances. Well, with Draco, he already hated Draco. And now Draco's friends with Harry. So I don't even think that he could really ever completely overcome that. No, I I agree with you on that. So Ron's sort of glaring at Draco seems pretty fitting to me. I mean, it might not. It's also, you know, it's so mutual. They're both, you know, competing, trying to be like Harry's best friend. And so, I mean, yeah, you can totally see where it's coming from. Yeah, it's like the scene in the earlier chapters, Draco, you know, I can have more than one friend, right? And I mean, here's the thing. They're I mean, his other friend. Yeah. It's Ron like, agrees with that. He just thinks that that other friend ought to be Hermione, and that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's the thing, too. They, they have a lot of great scenes in these chapters. The one that jumps out at me is the scene earlier on in the Great Hall when Ron is just glaring at Harry, and he, he's just not happy with the single thing that Harry's saying. And Harry just has to keep coming back at them and coming back at them. He's like, look, you're not going to do this to me again, are you? Because before you made my life a living hell, and you accepted things in the end. You're my friend, but I don't have the strength to do this again. Are you going to do this to me again? And he really, he's, he's direct with Ron in the way that he never really gets to be in the canon, because he's usually, you know, when it comes to emotional issues, Harry, you know. Well, and it eventually got resolved in canon, that sort of underlying animosity that they may have had towards each other. Yeah. So, I mean, I was actually pleased very much with with the characterization of Ron in these chapters, because I think when it comes to this type of story, you're only going to get... You're walking a, a really thin stretch of road here because if you go too far in one direction you have harry being adopted by snape and ron oh that's great you know you know this is wonderful i was always hoping this would happen you're like huh and if ron is too much of an ass you're like okay you know you're you're taking the character too far so he has to be angry he has to be red in the face and he he has to be ron but he can't take it too far and you can't take it too too shortly but one of the things there are strengths to that relationship i like the part where harry and is walked back to his quarters with ron and hermione and he has the well wish with him and he's going in and draco's just been asked for days and days and days because of you know the, the emotional reaction to being adopted and his fears and insecurities and all that and i like the fact that ron says you know i have brothers too do not let them walk over you and Ron, yeah. the brother, gets to teach something to Harry. And and that was Harry's point. This isn't about me getting a brother. It's not a novelty. It's not a new bike I'm going to forget about next month. This is a huge change for me. I get to be a brother. And I'm an only child myself. I've never had a brother, so I don't have that type of experience. You can I, have one of mine. Oh, really? How many you got? <laughs> I have four brothers. Are you the only oh, girl? Oh, my gosh. I am the only girl. Are you yeah. the youngest, oldest? <laughs> no, I'm actually in the middle. I'm okay. two older and two younger. How, how are the older brothers when you start dating? Huh? <laughs> one of them <laughs> says he's going to you know, beat everyone up, and but yeah, the other one da- tries to set me up with everyone. Well, so that was funny. I was always concerned about that, and my fiance's brother is actually just lost like sixty pounds, but he's he's a big guy. He's like wow. six foot something, and he, and he weighed like yeah, he was yeah, he was like someone sent me a picture of him the other day. I'm like, who's that? The, like your incoming brother-in-law. I'm like, oh, oh, 
Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I get over there more often. Like, I, I literally could carry Danielle, like, over my shoulder, fireman style, kicking and screaming out of the house, and he would sit on the couch reading a magazine going, see you later. Like, it's just like, I'm like, I like <laughs> yeah. that. Well, I think the, I the older like brother, that. I think the older brother uh, stereotype, like, I know that Leanne, my best friend in the world, has four four older brothers. She's the baby. And... They never, like, forbid her. All they did was tease her about the dating and, um, you know, making her feel uncomfortable about wearing a bra for the first time. Like, they would pop her strap or or something. Like, that was how they were. Yeah, like, it's, like, she said she, like, cried. And I was like, oh. It's like hard enough as it is. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And so I I love, I think the stare, me having just one younger sister, um, I, I, I think that the stereotype big brother is very, I always had the big brother type friends, you know I what I mean? I'm not sure. I was going to say, I think it's different when it's a brother to a brother than a brother to a sister, to be honest. I think you you do? Yeah. 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 I mean, I have, I, I have a brother sister. So. Do you treat him differently? Well, I, I certainly don't care who he's dating or anything <laughs> like that. Uh, we fought a lot, certainly, but I think. The dynamics, you don't get the protective dynamic as much, I think, between brothers as you do between brothers and sisters. And it's Are probably you, a culture. So the, is the sister younger? I don't have a sister. I have a brother. Oh, sorry. I thought you said that you had Jen's like, what? I heard wrong. I don't know what I was listening to. Sorry. All right. No wonder. I was like, I'm confused. Right. Like, with Shannon, I was so protective over her. So but then very- we got to high school, and I, like, pretended she didn't exist. Yeah, so. were you very protective of her during the Bear Mace incident of last I didn't know about it until it was until she was home. She didn't tell us, or should, she, I guess she told mom. But should we tell the should we tell the story or no? Tell it. Uh, did I not tell everybody? You didn't tell the story, but you can tell Lady Chi. We're about to add Lady Chi back to the call, everybody. En route to Kansas City. We're going on. We're going on tour. Buenos dias. Buenos dias. Okay, we're going to tell the story about what happened to Jen's sister, a grizzly bear, and a bunch of college kids. Jen. <laughs> It runs in the sto- it runs in the family apparently. I'll, that's all I'll say. No, um, my sister who has been working in Yellowstone National Park all summer, um, we finally got her home Death trap uh, of the United last States. week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got her. Well, she um, she was a horse riding uh, person, a guide for horseback riding, and on the weekends she did cabin cleaning for extra money. They have more like cabins than hotels up there, but they're called hotels, I guess. But they're cabins. Anyway. Luxury condominium is a tent. It's really strange. Like, there's cabin hotels. And I don't know if they're called hotels or motel or I don't know. Anyway, it's cabin. And she, her job on the weekends was to go in and clean the cabin. So she was in this one. And they had left this, like, spray can thing on the floor. And she reached down to pick it up. And it sprayed her. Um, just on contact, the people who had laid, had stayed there before had taken the safety key out and just laid it on the floor. Oh, no. And it was bear spray, bear pepper spray. And it's, I don't, it's sprayed her in the face and on the chest. And when <gasps> it sprays, it sprays oh, like this red liquid um, mixed with, um, it's like, it's real big peppers. And um, anyway, it's horrific. It's like 10 times normal oh, mace. Oh, my gosh. Um, it's because it's bear repellent. And, um, well, anyway, so she starts screaming bloody murder. I mean, because this stuff that the, the red stuff is acidic and it eats through your skin and it eats through your clothes. And, um, like it's supposed to really just make the, the bear go in pain. Like, I guess it's really horrendous. It's awful stuff. 
But anyway, so she starts screaming, and she runs out of the cabin. She's screaming bloody murder. And all that was there were two co, like two college guys that were helping clean cabins. They were in other cabins and the manager. And they all heard her scream and they ran to her and they thought that she'd sliced her throat open. It looked like blood. And they saw, they found the can and they, they took her back in and they were trying to wash her off. And she's just crying and it's just too much pain. And they looked at the bear can and they saw what it was and they started stripping her clothes off. And they could see like it was already like burning her skin. Like they could see the burns on her skin. And so they had her in the shower naked. <laughs> the Jen is telling you the story. Three college guys. The girl, she's full of a, she's covered in red liquid. Like their dream come true. Three college guys have stripped her down and put her in the shower. And she's screaming bloody murder. And Jen's like, I've read like 20 fix like this. I was like, I've never been. I go, wow, Shannon, I've never been naked in front of three guys at once. And like, she was like, shut up. But <laughs> only my sister, but she was okay. She ended up having to like be in and out of the shower for like 18 hours because her skin was so burned. And like, they had to Did wait because they're in the, the bounds. They don't have a hospital in Yellowstone National Park. Well, they have, okay. They Did had, they take her to the nearest one? <laughs> yeah, they had a, they had the park ranger emergency, whatever, come and get her, but it took like an hour and a half oh. to come get her. It was just this bad experience. And like, it was so Sounds funny. Like it. Well, I mean, like she came home and you can still see where she was burned. I mean, it, it's, it was bad. Um, but it was, I was like, Shannon, how embarrassing. And she was like, I literally was so in pain. I didn't even notice it. And I was like, yeah. I can't imagine. At that point, <laughs> but I, I thought care, how really. smart and brave these college kids must've been to know to strip her clothes off. And <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it was, it was brave, Jen. That's right. That, that would be the word for it. <laughs> they really had to just roll oh, their sleeves please. up there and just go with it. I'm sorry, but if there was a guy and there were three girls and and I mean, and I didn't know him. And I was like, oh, my gosh, we have to take his clothes off to save his life. Like, I would have second thoughts before I did it. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. I would. Snape and leather like, woman is I like, too. I don't know if I can do this. I, I'm so modest. It's awful. Like, on, on here, I'm so brave. But in real life, I'm not. And <laughs> I could not just. I would be like, excuse me, can I take your pants off? Now? I mean, like, how? I don't even know. What excuse I'm me, saying. can I take okay, your on. pants off? Hold on, now? so Kira, that's you're, not Kira, you, Kira, you're all, you're also. I, well, you're I wouldn't just rip them off. Yeah, you would. Don't lie. Hold on, let's do a vote. Jen, modest. Kira, modest or brave? Mm? Are you modest? Sorry. Or, are you modest? Like- are you modest or brave? Would you take the guy's pants off? Oh gosh. Um... <laughs> I I think I would have second thoughts on it. <laughs> Lady Chief. If it was a girl, I don't know, I'm a little too conservative. Lady Chief. I think I would probably take the pants off. I'm not gonna lie. Meg. I I, I would. Oh, I'm a, not a Gryffindor for anything. I would definitely I would take the pants off. <laughs> I know. Well, Meg- if it's a girl, I have no issues. I'd just be like, oh, you're another girl. Here we go. Meg's hanging out with the guy, and he's like, oh, I burn myself, my finger on the match a little bit. She's like, oh, I gotta take your pants off. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I guess it would no, also depend no, on who right it was. To do. Wow. That's true. All right, Good before point. we get back to the story, so we, Jen, I have one Kennedy question. Talking about it, you're like another Yes, Chi, I'm bringing us back in right now. Jen, okay. if Draco burned himself and his leather was on fire, would you take his pants off? His leather was on fire? Like he burned himself and his leather pants were burning. Oh, man. 
Would my hands burn if I helped him get out of the leather? I, I, I don't know the answer. Would it matter? <laughs> Why are you so really he would literally make me hot. <laughs> <laughs> that would <What>? literally... <laughs> no, Bear didn't hear you. That would ma- that would literally make Jen hot if Drake oh was my God. his red fire. <laughs> yes, I don't think I'd have any problem with fictional Draco and his leather pants and removing no. them. Oh, only if I were wearing leather as well. Oh, good. God. But what if you saw Tom Felton with <laughs> Oh, we have pants. to get back to a year Same like none other. All right. All right. A year like none other. Oh, wait, speaking of, yeah. I just want to say that before the podcast is over, we need to talk about some very important news regarding Equus. <laughs> Can I tell you something? I have to say this. I am going to say this. I have to say this now. I told Jen. Now, like, we have to repeat this. Literally eight days ago. No, seven days ago. Tonight. We're we're under a week. This time last week. This very minute. As I'm saying this, I'm recording this at 11.04 on Thursday the... What the hell day is it? Today's the 7th? Today's the 8th. Thursday the 8th. 11 o'clock. A week ago tonight. You know, Jen was telling us she has very little time to live. This is terrible. She didn't leave me anything. I did notice that, Jen. You didn't leave me a damn thing. And I, I said to Jen, Jen, if you I hang... Want charity. Yes, if you hang on, I will take you to Equus. What is Equus? Equus is a, is a play starring on, Dan Radcliffe where, Dan where he's naked. He is naked on stage. <laughs> Now, let me tell you this. When I told naked. Jen I would take her... Naked! No, you like 12 years naked. old. Can I just tell naked. you this? Can I tell you this? Does anyone does, does anyone know what the what Jordan's furniture did for the Red Sox? You know, we're up for the World Series when, when the se- regular season was going on. Jordan's furniture is a furniture company. I'm not sure if it's national or not. It's in um, the Massachusetts area. They said, like, in March of this year, if the Red Sox win the World Series, any furniture that you buy this week, we're going to give you for free. Naked. Listen to Whoa. me, Jen. So what <laughs> happened was months and months and months later, the Red Sox happened to win the World Series, and now people got millions of dollars worth of free furniture. Because when they said it, they never thought it was going to happen. Now I have to tell you this: Jen calls me and says, "I have four different types of cancer, and I have like four months to live." And I said, "Jen, if you hang on, I'm going to take you to see Dan Ag." Dan Ag, what the hell's his name? Dan Radcliffe, naked on Broadway. Jen calls me the next day. My cancer is gone. <laughs> I'll still take you up on that, though. I will tell you what. We Jen. should all get together. I'm not sure I'm old enough to see Dan Radcliffe naked. He's only like 12 Wait, years old. I no, definitely no. am. <laughs> no, he's, he's. Did you say is he 12? Isn't he 12? Isn't he Harry Potter? I thought no, he's Harry Potter. He's but he's... Harry Potter is legal now. Good gracious, he's so legal. That was a very big you day. Did, did you not go and rent the movies like you said you were? You haven't seen the movies? I, I've seen the first two now. I rented the next one. Why am I talking about this? I haven't Good. seen the Good. The third one is You need to watch the third one. Love, I'm yelling at You haven't seen the movies I haven't seen? I know. Ryan, you need to see the fifth. It, it comes out next month. Okay. Well, I'll see it then. And you have got to go buy it the day it comes out because I'm going to watch it with you. Yes, mother. Okay, so, Jen, if you come to New York City, I will take you to Equus. Oh, I'm coming to see Equus. I'm staying like a week and a half and seeing it more than once. <laughs> and you're like, and you're putting me up the whole damn time. That <laughs> is right. Yes. You won't be there when he's there. Oh, yeah, I won't be there then. No, we'll have to get a hotel. For a week and a half in New York? Stay at my house. Let's stay yes. with Mike. My, my no, we'll, live with, we'll stay with Mike. Yes. There you go. 
Wait a minute now. Where am I going to be? Because I'm going to go see Dan Radcliffe you naked stay on with Broadway. Us at, with, at Mike's house, too. I love how Jess is like, <laughs> Mike, that's okay, right? <laughs> um, uh, I don't live there myself anymore, but that's fine with me. It's like a, it's like your parents' house or something. It's not like yeah, you sold the house. house. Okay, it's not like you sold the house mind. to someone else, but they won't mind. Okay. Wait, uh, what? You're all, you're all you don't live in the house? No, he's moved on, but it's his mother's house. I just was checking oh. in, like, sell the house to someone she else. She won't mind. She'll be we'll fine. just be, like, she here with my friends. And I have to tell you, Jen, I have to feel like on some level, you coming back from the dead was as a result of the opportunity to see Dan Radcliffe naked. I totally agree. Completely <laughs> and utterly. Like, really, what are the odds of that happening? I know. I'm cured! I know. God had a plan for me. <laughs> Involved Dan Radcliffe's penis, apparently. Dan Radcliffe naked. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just like, as well as after As all good people. plans do. Oh my goodness! Every day after the show, I'm gonna be like, "I need your autograph. I loved you, Nicholas." Oh. It it's on until he gets a restraining order. <laughs> okay, let's. I want to talk about the story some more. Okay, leave this, Jen. What do y'all think of Marcia Good, Miss Good? And I love the pun on her name so much. Mm-hmm. Um, every single time, it's like one of those serious moments. Every single time they say a good joke, I laugh. And I don't even know if she intentionally <laughs> writes them in. Any, like, I don't even know if it's intentional, but I laugh every time that it could possibly be taken both ways because I'm like, it's like a secret snicker, snickering of amusement to miss myself. I'm convinced Snape and her are going to wind up a couple. I know. I, totally I would love that. Her. I think she's perfect for him. I think they match yeah. up very well. Seriously, guys. <laughs> oh, gee, you sound like you're in another time zone. <laughs> What was that? Chi? Chi, is it possible that you have the phone in the glove compartment and you're screaming (laughs) at the top of your lungs while you're driving? No. One thing, I'm not driving. My friend Jeremy is driving. Say hi, Jeremy. Hi, Jeremy. Is Jeremy happen to have read that you're like none other? (laughs) You're like none other? He says he has not read here like none other. I just want to point out the fact that we can barely hear Chi, and then we're listening to the guy on the other end of the car yell into the phones. This is great sound quality we're offering our <laughs> listeners tonight. Has Jeremy read Harry Potter? Has he read Harry Potter? I've read the last one. I haven't read any of the other ones. So. What? What? How do you what do kind that? Of <sighs> what kind of person is driving you around? This is not a normal person. Chi, Chi, I need you to jump out of the car, and you have to do the roll thing. You might break your hip, but you should be all right. <laughs> well, Kira, is there any interesting points that you want to bring up? Because I know that you're... Just about these chapters themselves, or in general? Long. Yeah, about these, about these chapters. And Kira, I just want to ask a question. Are you actually a beta on the story, or do you help with the bathering process on the story? Or? Um, I am on her sequel. I okay. did not do any four years. Okay, so you, you were just a reader for these chapters here. You, you were. Yes, okay. I actually okay. came into them like after it was already finished, and uh, a summer like none other had been already started. Okay, I just wanted so, to, I was curious if you did anything behind the scenes. Okay, yeah, um, definitely. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. I don't know. I've been covering Chris. Sorry, just totally caught off guard. And I actually didn't get to read the last two chapters either because I only found out today that I was going to be on here. Uh-huh. But I'm um, sorry. I'm trying to look over my notes that I made now. No problem. We have great editors on this. <laughs> Wait and see that. That was a little throw out to you there to make you feel good about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to know, was there anything that stood out in your mind in regards to um, the trial or the poison or um, any of the major points? I, I particularly have to say that 
you know, as angsty loving that I am, I loved the the part where Draco is reenacting him getting beaten. You know, that's um, like one like my favorite chapters in the entire story because it is I, I said before, but it's so powerful but it's like it's emotionally stinging just watching him being in so much pain, even though he's not literally being beaten. You know what I mean? And also how, you know, anyone who was doubting Draco up to this point where I you know, I can't imagine anyone who would be, you know, they see that one of his worst fears is that Harry being harmed and Harry, you know, not being there for him, which, I don't know, that was totally gut-wrenching for me, but I loved it at the same me time. Too. Me too, definitely. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing about the character of Draco that's really, and, I, and I've been saying this before about a lot of just the writing in these chapters, is that through, through much of the story, the characters, my, my complaint was... And this is like early on for Snape, really early on for Snape, and then maybe Draco a little bit further along into it. It seems like at some point the characters were so unrealistic because the characters were so unrealistic. It, it points to me, it seemed like, because they, they didn't seem to be responding to situations in a way that was consistent with where they came from. It seemed like, mm-hmm. you know, Draco at points may, you know, while I found him to be a much more interesting, fascinating character than in the canon, Draco himself was a character that just didn't, he went from being like a complete and other prick last year to being, you know, a guy who does the little drummer boy thing at Christmas. You know what I mean? It just seemed like it was so, like I could buy into the characterization, but it just seemed like it was so much compared, you know, granted he had an awful epiphany in between, so you could justify, you know, the, the, the change in the characterization. But there, there were just points where it didn't seem like a regular family. Like parents don't get full obedience from their kids. Kids don't act like you know they're 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 not that brilliant at 16 because they make stupid mistakes and i really like the fact that in these chapters that draco is an ass for no other reason than because he's pissed and he's just he's got all these issues it's it's incredibly realistic yeah and then then, okay i'm from massachusetts so people here love to give second chances to people and Uh. (laughs) draco was abused as a child which in many circles of society means you get a free pass for anything you've done in your life and it's not true and i personally don't believe that and snape says something in these chapters that kind of offers the other point of view when Harry says to Snape in his classroom, you know, I had a great deal of difficulty, you know, doing your assignment because of in his condition, he has a handicap. He cannot do magic the way everyone else does. You know, it's not fair to judge me differently than everyone else. I'm sorry, to judge me the same as everyone else, because I have, you know, in this case, like a disability. And Snape's reaction is, okay, so should I judge my students differently depending on who has a more natural aptitude for potions? And the reality is you can't do that. I mean, in society, some people are born with, you know, into families with millions of dollars, and some people have to work their way up. And it's unfair for the people who have to work harder for it, but you can't do anything about that because that is just life. So when you go back over to the character of Draco, it it means a lot in these chapters to see a character who he has been abused as a child and he has been raised by a maniac, essentially, who has just 
twisted him so much, but he still is responsible for his actions and he can't get a free pass for that, but he does still have a really shitty time and a really hard time getting there. And I really like that in these chapters, the fact that when you see Draco, he's an ass to Snape and he's just, you know, he poisons people and he, he like he just he gut-wrenching chapters about the character of Draco. And that to me was a good thing because it, he couldn't be this perfect angel of a character after all that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's about dang time that they got some counseling in there now, too. <laughs> well, I'm just glad that, that so Snape... I know, they are so... And I'm just glad that Snape is open enough to, to try to, to go and get it. It makes me wonder yeah. about Snape's background, if he ever went to therapy. I don't think he ever did. I don't did. know, but what did you guys think about Hostilian, his father, like... The artist? Were, yeah. Oh, the Wellwish! We didn't talk about the Wellwish. I mentioned the well-wish, I just didn't talk about... I, I basically said he was carrying the well-wish, and that was my contribution to the well-wish. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, oh, I have... think of, of Harry looking up and finding the Snape crest, that Castilian... I, I was just amazed that at one point in a Harry Potter, you know, quote-unquote novel, Harry actually looked up things relevant to his life in an encyclopedia. <laughs> And then he got in trouble for staying up so late. Yeah, wasn't that one of the complaints in the canon? You know, I know nothing about my parents. Well, Harry, you know, it's been freaking seven years. Did you ever think of going to the library and looking up a book on them? Seriously, you can't even look up yourself. Exactly. But he hasn't, of course. Oh, by the way, someone is breathing right into their mic, and I can hear... Probably me. Sorry. No, no, it's okay. You can hear the... Someone someone sounds like they have a cold. No, no, it's fine. They're driving down the highway five miles an hour. That's probably me. No, it's not you. She, I have to say, this is the reception we got when we used to have people on the moon, so it's concerning me that you're in Kansas right now. Sorry. <laughs> I said you could, you could not have me on the podcast and I would just leave, and you're like, I'll call yourself. What? <laughs> <laughs> she is officially the wacky next-door neighbor who is just you know traveling across the country right now. But, uh, we love you, T. I have a question for you guys. What's that? What did you think with the whole um, Draco's mother murdering some? Well, giving him a ball. Does she really care about him? And then she like murders someone to get him the ball. Then well, Fergus Black thing, basically. Well, the the most relevant part of it to us is because we, as the reader, don't care about Narcissa. But the most relevant part is Draco's like, yeah, she killed for me. Okay, and like, it's kind of cool. okay with it. Yeah, it's cool. Well, do you Blood think money. she cares about him? As I mean, do you think she? Like, I think you know, she does. Yeah, I think. Well, she literally killed for him. I mean, there's nothing in it for her. Does that make her a good mother, though? Uh, well, kind of, well, depends where you're coming from. Does she care for her son? Yes, she killed to get him money. So she. Well, pre- no. Well, like if she, if she, let's say, you know, like. Lucius and her, it wouldn't happen if they got divorced, say, tomorrow, for some bizarre reason. Yeah. Do you think it would be reasonable to accept her back in the Draco's life, that he should make, you know, a relationship with her? She should come hang out with Snape and Harry and what have you? I mean, with Narcissa herself, I mean, she's not a nice person, but in her own... Like, here's the thing. Tony Soprano it probably <laughs> loves his kid. He's murdered, like, 84 people. I mean, is he a good father? Well... I'm sure he loves his kid, and that's basically my response to Narcissa Malfoy. Would everyone think yeah. that the fact that, was it Dubby? That Dubby had been in the quarters before, that Dubby was allowed to re-enter, and that was how he put the key in the room and fulfilled the, um, the prophetic dream. 
Doesn't that seem like somewhat of a loophole? I know, it's slightly disturbing now. Yeah, it's like Drake, like, when they let him in before, there was never, like, Snape and, and Draco, these two, you know, brilliant people who look so far ahead at the game of chess, you know, in the game of life, didn't think if we let him in, he can get in anytime he wants to. Because there was no consideration at the time that Draco would be adopted and thus not be a Malfoy and thus break, the, you know, the elf magic. I mean, that was essentially by letting Dubby into the quarters. That was letting Dubby into the quarters anytime Dubby wanted to be into the quarters. And Dubby is owned by Lucius Malfoy. So that mm-hmm. seemed like a, you know, like a pretty big mistake on Snape's part there. Wait, does changing your name break the elf magic? Um, well, he no longer became a Malfoy. But he can't. But if he broke the elf magic, then how would the elf... I've gotten in there to drop off. He wasn't. The, he was a Malfoy at the time. He didn't become a Snape. Oh, right before. Okay. okay. But that, I guess that was my thing. That just seems like Severus. See, I've now crossed the point where I'm calling him Severus. <laughs> but you know, it seems like Severus should have caught the fact that mm, you know maybe we shouldn't let him in. And I just thought that was there's there's some moments in here where I'm like, okay, come on. And that was one of the moments where you know Aspen set me right on that. But I was a little curious how that. Okay, everyone wants to go to bed now. Jen's like. Where you guys are, isn't it? Anyone else like me? Yeah. <laughs> Jen, Jen do you, are you wrapping up? I'm trying not to. I'm here. I'm trying to. I'm sorry. Are you like, is your like medicine kicking in? It's starting to. <laughs> Everyone's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, why don't we, we've been going for a little while here. Um, why doesn't everyone throw out one final thought or one thing and then we'll just start wrapping this up before Jen collapses on herself? <laughs> Jen's like, eh, funny. Mike, you have a question? Oh, no, I was just going to say I really like the term Griffin Boar. Griffin Boar. Which is a chapter <laughs> you can read. But, uh, yeah, uh, the therapist goes, I understand uh, Draco's in Slytherin and you're in uh, Griffin Boar. <laughs> I just kind of thought that was pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think that's like one of the. Is, that reminds me of just like the one where like you name your kid and you think you've picked the name that no one can ever make fun of, and <laughs> it's like the most obvious name in the world, like Griffin. I don't know. That just seems like oh, Griffin Boy. But like I, I said, I know like she. I, yeah, I know she didn't mean it that way. Even though I haven't read the chapter, but yeah. all right, we are at the point in our podcast now where I think everyone is starting to fall asleep, especially Jen. Jen is on time to like <laughs> drugs right now. Jen, when she. Jen, when you lose consciousness, what time will you wake up? Um, somewhere around uh, 11. Oh, I have to... Well, my my CT is at 10.30, so James is going to have to drag me out of bed. <laughs> I'm going to wake up at 11 tomorrow, but my appointment's at 10.30. That's a good <laughs> no, it's, it's, seriously, I, it's hard to get up. Yeah, I know. Mm. We, I know, it's even... We didn't hear from Jen for like a three-day period. She was only conscious for like four hours. I was so tired. All right. Well, we're getting back into the swing of things, guys. So we're going to have a shorter than normal podcast this week. We're going to have an extra long podcast for you next week, including an interview with Aspen. So if you have any questions, please uh, send in voicemails. If you have comments for Aspen, we'd be glad to include those in the episode and um, any comments you have you know just about the chapters in general we're going to be wrapping our discussion with next week's episode and then we're going to do a commentary of the second movie before we move on to the shoebox project so if you have anything you want to contribute send in voicemails we'd love to hear from you uh kira thank you so much for being a part of this tonight oh thank you for having me on you're in a basement in utah somewhere aren't you 
Yes. I guessed a state. I, I'm like, it was one of the ones in the left, so I'm glad it wasn't Wyoming. Wow, you guessed right. Absolutely. Very good. Absolutely. And if you'd like to come back with us um, next week when we close out the fic, we'd be more than... We'd love to have we, you. We'd love to have I you. I would back. love to be on. See? I would be honored, you guys. Well, the thing here, we have to we have to apologize for this. Like, I, 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 I emailed her, like, tonight. I'm like, hey, you want to be on the podcast? Great. Okay, good. We'll call you um, in like, what time is it now? Five, six. We'll call you in like, uh, like seven. Is that good? And she's like, okay, <laughs> let me go read the I have chapters. to tell you, that was like the most exciting email I've gotten in a long time. I was thrilled. Oh. <laughs> I'm glad I waited to the last possible moment because that was my master plan. <laughs> Well, I'm waiting for Jen to email me back, and Jen's been unconscious since Sunday, so there was a small delay. <laughs> Jen, are you awake? Uh-huh. Jen, go to bed. Okay. Bye. <laughs> okay. Good night. Good night, Jen. Hey. Night. Night, Jen. Night, Jen. I didn't think she was actually going to do it. Did she hang up? She did. She went to bed. Oh, oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> I was just... Jen, when you're listening He's to this really later, I was kidding. I think there. she must have been really tired then. Yeah, I was listening and I was like, oh my God. No, she was even telling me today, like, she was even saying, like, you have me until like 1130, but like the drugs they put her on are literally like, if she's at the table, she will go like head first down to smack on the table and she'll be unconscious until like, it's like the Vosnack from um, Father of the Bride Part 2. So goodbye, George. See you next Thursday. It's like one of those things, so. Oh, poor Jen. Jen has had the roughest week. I feel bad for Jen. Mm. Can I just tell you, I'm like on the phone with Jen trying to keep my cool last week, and I'm like, <laughs> and she's like, Ryan, it's okay. You need to say it's everything's good. And she's like, buck, like, pulling me together. Like, she's absolutely unbelievable. I know. She's a piece of work. Okay. All right. Um, I know. Did we ever end the podcast? I think Jen just hung up. Jen was like, "Yeah, okay, good night, guys." <laughs> and then oh, all good, of a sudden, good. Oh, up. God. all right. That'd um, be funny just to end it there. Yeah. <laughs> all right, bye. Um, did anyone have anything? Because I kind of just like hurried it up for her benefit, but now she's gone. Did anyone have anything else they wanted to throw out? Actually, I did, but it doesn't have anything to do with the chapters that we read or that we went over today. If that's okay. Oh, the, you, you mean it's off topic on this podcast? I mean, not exactly, <laughs> not exactly off topic. I was talking to Aspen last week or earlier in this week about the last episode. Okay. And there was a question that you guys posed about um, Dumbledore allowing them, allowing um, Harry and Severus to see Remus while he was, you know, yeah, uh, Lucius Malfoy. And so I was asking her about that, and she actually wrote up something she wanted me to read to you guys just to explain it just a little bit. Yeah, go to for clear it up a little. Okay, what it says is, um, she has four points. So one, it does not disturb Dumbledore that over the course of the year, he has lost influence over Harry while Snape has gained it. Dumbledore would prefer to be the primary influence, but he has accepted that it's not just going to be, and he's largely over that issue. Though it does still bother him a little bit. That's not his motivation here. Uh, two, he doesn't know that Remus was Malfoy at, the, at that instant while they were arguing before, you know, he stood off. Mm-hmm. Um... Three, he did know, however, that if Remus was put in contact with Harry or Snape, that the secret of Remus' spy mission might come to life. And four, uh, Dumbledore is operating, as always, on the need-to-know basis for everyone in the order. Remus's mission is more likely not to backfire and cause Remus's own death if fewer people know about it. So to protect Remus and the operation, Dumbledore doesn't want to pull him in on it. But, of course, Snape forces his hand. 
Yeah. Yeah. Cause the, I'm, I, cause I'm trying to remember exactly the comments we made at the time. I mean, yeah, it, it, it seemed like there were easy, yeah, it, I, I can appreciate from that scene that there were, the, the, the Dumbledore's back was kind of against the wall. And if he said too much, then it turned out he didn't have to say that much. He would have given out more information and possibly endangered Remus. But mm-hmm. if, I'm sorry, what she? Huh? Did you say something? Oh, I said copper, copper, crime stopper. Sorry. <laughs> it's a reflex. There was a cop. <laughs> <laughs> she has the oddest use of the mute button I have ever seen. I have no, I have no idea how she judges when it's like Tourette's like, ah, hits it. Um, yeah, I mean. I'm sorry. I couldn't stop myself from saying it. <laughs> trying to listen. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, God. I'm sure it was brilliant. We're talking about Dumbledore from the last episode. <laughs> Do you have a comment? No, just kidding. Um, yeah, I mean, you can see that. I mean, it was it was an interesting way to characterize him. Um, I still have to feel like in that chapter he was very um, difficult. Kind of manipulative. Yeah, difficult, and, yeah. And, and difficult. And on some level, I know she, like, Aspen obviously knows all of his motivations because she, she, she wrote him and she designed the character. He did just very, very much feel like he didn't have to tell them that. And, and with Dumbledore all the time, I mean, Phil has, you know, a, like a great, I think it's Phil has a great line about Dumbledore. Like, like the, the, the fact that, you know, if you tell Harry one thing, you could save the whole book, but we're not going to tell you why. You've got to figure out everything yourself. And it just seems like, in that level, you know, Dumbledore's remarkably consistent with the canon because he will not tell you the simple thing you know that would make your life so much easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just got to, I mean, I agree with you to an extent. I just got the impression also that he was still kind of a little stung that he was that main influence in Harry's life, you know? I think he was so, too. I think it's like the thing when you have a parent who who does a certain you know thing to a kid or if you have a person who takes a particular hard line with someone and then that person turns away from you and goes towards someone else who is more sympathetic to their cause and then you're stung like why would they leave me well Dumbledore caused you know the events that led to Harry turning to Snape and less to him and then Dumbledore I think was stung by that that's the truth is that Dumbledore is responsible for what happened. And, you know, for better or for ill, you could argue that Dumbledore did exactly the right thing in the first five books that led Harry to that point, but, I mean, it was still Dumbledore's actions that brought them to where they were. Oh, yeah, exactly. I agree. Meg, do you have a comment, or are you? Meg? Um, yeah. sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> <laughs> I was just listening to what you guys were saying, and... Meg's the new chief. <laughs> I'm sorry, No! <laughs> <laughs> Meg's like, I've been listening for an hour. I'll let you know if I have anything I want to throw in there. Okay, bye, mute. I'm sorry. It's okay. Meg sends me a message in the middle of the episode. Am I in trouble? <laughs> oh, good God. All right. Draco's characterization throughout this story has been my favorite. And, and from what I've heard of the sequels to You're Like None Other, I think that would continue. That's I agree. Like, let me ask you a hypothetical question here, because you're, you're a very big fan of Year, from what I can tell. Yeah. Right? Okay. Now, <laughs> yeah, you're like I'm jumping up and down on my couch. Very big I love it. Now, what? Now, when you hear us say, you know, it's 96 chapters, we wish it was half that. What is your reaction to that? Would it have worked if it was a much shorter story, or is um would that have taken out what you? I think it, I think it could have worked, but I don't know. I think I'm a little, a little biased because I like all the little. Yeah. I mean, I understand why some people don't like the, you know, the slow-paced stuff, but I like some of that just because 
I think some of the, you know, the home scenes are just kind of sweet and fun to read, you know. Yeah. But, I mean, I think it, it could have worked if it was shorter, but I don't think it would be quite like the epic story that it is either. because yeah, you would have lost a lot of character moments, too. Yeah, because, I mean, like, I mean, all those chapters really build their characters. It's kind of like, you know, the entire Harry Potter series, like, in one, just, like, lengthwise and how... You know, you get so much character and so much story. It's just one really big story instead of cut up into several. Yeah. I uh, I see what you're saying as far as the character details. Um, mm-hmm. My my thought on that was, with canon, you read and you get character details and you love it. And I think and and I think that the character details in you're like none other are good too. It's just that in canon, it's like it leaves you wanting more. Like, you wish you had more of those details. In a year like none other, it felt like I could have dealt, I could have done without some of them, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I get that, yeah. I mean, and I think... I mean, you know, it's very, I don't take offense to that or anything. Yeah, it's very... <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like living with someone every day. Like, if you told... Like, if someone said to you, you know, like, if, say if you went on, like, you went abroad for a year, right? And you, uh-huh. you get back and your family's like, now tell me everything that happened. You know, you you know, I got there and I got off the I got off the plane and you know, you know, like yeah, I've experienced and, that. <laughs> yeah, and I moved into the dorm and a couple of weeks later, you know, I had a fight with my roommate. And a couple of weeks after that, I went to a party and stuff. You you give them the highlights. Some like it's not like you know, I got off the plane and, and you know, I went to the tarmac and I had to wait a couple of minutes for my bags. So then I got my bags. And I, and yeah. Like, your family's like, how long is this story going to take? You were gone for. Two <laughs> it's like it feels like yeah. now in the story we actually I, I it feels like we get like every single day. Like it's it's very comprehensive. It's everything in the, and it's weird because like we're not adverse to long stories. Like we read after. Oh yeah, no. Which is like a huge story. It's I think that's just the thing because sometimes it feels like okay, I feel like we've read this ten times. And but you know what? It's I mean people love it. I mean it's it's definitely a valid. I thrive for the long stories. So, well, I do too, because I, 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 if I'm going to invest in the universe, I don't want it to be a ten chapter thing, and I get into exactly. it after another one. Yeah, it's like after we read this, I'm going to read another story, and Snape's going to be a bastard. I'm going to be like, but I thought we just did this, and he was nice, right? Because <laughs> yeah. every time I read the new fic after reading a novel length fic, I need to go into therapy for a couple of days because I'm like having. I know it's you like, need to have something in between, like you need to have some fluff or like a Draco Hermione fic in between to get your mind off it. Yeah, and, and well, that's really the problem. Problem, I think, when it comes to I, the first time I tried to read the story, um, Aspen had just joined our forum. And I tried to read it while we were while we, we were discussing after the end. So I'm reading after the end, which I'm not sure if you've read, and this at the same time, and it just like mm. completely blew my mind because it's such different Harrys that like I couldn't. I had to put right. And you're like not another not another guy. I just couldn't do it. So well, because like she breaks down her Harry and then builds him back up, you know. Yeah. So like he's not the same Harry that's in canon. And, but that's fine because, like, she's, you know, done that in such a realistic, believable way yeah. that, you know, her Harry is, like, correct for this story. But, yeah. Well, in every story, you get a Harry that's that's a little bit different. Like I, different. Yeah, like, I, like yeah. I was thinking, I read, um, like I've alluded to it earlier tonight, I read um, Effect by Lavender Brown, uh, The Final Reckoning. And there was a chapter in it when um, Harry was in the dorm talking to Ron and he had just like almost had sex with Parvati or something in Hogsmeade. And there was this whole, he was telling Ron the story and it's like two horny 16 year olds. And I'm like, 
in this story, like I don't think Harry even would know what to do with it. Like it's like he's like a twelve year old who's like emotionally scarred. I know, and but it's so endearing. Yeah, it's like, but it, you know, what I mean, though, it's like so you can read this fic, and he's in Harry is literally like a, like a twelve year old who needs a hug from his dad, and then you read this next story, and he's like a horny sixteen year old who needs to get late. It's like the it's like the funniest thing because we read the same character. It's like we read the same year over from so many people's perspectives. It just it, it's so funny. Well, it's, it's the exact same thing with Snape. I mean, you know, like you said, one story he's a complete bastard, and in this one he like. Who wouldn't want him for, like, you know, their surrogate dad or whatever? You know what it really feels like? I was yeah. thinking this. Um, I know you, ha- you you said you've been a Star Trek fan. Snape really comes across in this, like, Mr. Spock or, like, a Vulcan from Star Trek. He just, really? his, his mannerisms, like, if you, like, the thing with Star Trek is, like, you'll have, like, the, like, the character who doesn't understand emotion. And someone will joke with him. He's like, why would you say that? Like, and he'll be very logical looking at and you have to explain to him a joke and you have to explain to him this just like the way snape talks and like like that like the, there was one of my favorite lines was um actually i gotta go are you gonna go okay man yeah. <laughs> all right i'll say good night guys it was fun it was nice night, night. Night, and podcasting you with you mike <laughs> you too good seeing you again okay Talk good night to, guys later mike bye night. see you later night. One of my favorite lines was um, Harry talking to Snape, saying about you know Seamus and how Seamus you know I, I always said and Snape is like, what possibly could have happened with you and Mister Finnegan that, that led to fisticuffs? And it's like I'm like, who the hell talks like that? It's like it just it seems just like a Vulcan kind of thing. I don't know. It's kind of funny. I would just add it. Apparently, we're mispronouncing Seamus's name my entire life. You were calling it Seamus. I was. Meg did. Jen did the same thing. Too. I used to do that too. Jen didn't know that Seamus was Irish. Really? He was Irish, but I didn't. Jen put didn't know he was Irish. Well, I have a funny story. Um, the movie Almost Famous. I don't know if you've seen it. I was on the phone with my friend who is like she's my age. She's twenty five, but she's like she she's like an eighty three year old woman. She's like deaf and hard of hearing. Also, she's hilarious. And I'm on the phone with her. And I'm like, we're, I have a few friends over. I'm like, oh, we're gonna go watch a movie. She's like, what movie? Over the phone. And I'm like, Almost Famous. And there's a moment of silence. I love Seamus. Yeah, yeah, I love Seamus. <laughs> so, I, I would say, by, on the subject of a summer like none other, yep. for you, my thoughts on I think a lot of people mm-hmm. don't like the beginning of it and they get into it as it goes on because my perception is it's supposed to be a story about Draco basically and about him coming to terms with his racism, blah, 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 mm-hmm. and setting it up for like kind of an interlude. And for the first, like, eight chapters or so, I really felt like it kind of had, like, like this is before it starts focusing on Draco, really. And it just kind of had no, it wasn't going anywhere. It had no purpose, really. And then she kind of found her right. focus again, and it took off. Personally. Well, it's also different in the way that it's, the majority of it is in Draco's point of view, not Harry's. I have a question for you, actually, if you're baiting it. Do you know when the next chapter is coming out? Because, obviously, um... You know, I'm not, I honestly don't know. Um, she hasn't sent me anything new since the last one came out. And so I think either she's not, you know, gotten to a point where she wants starting to get feedback on it. Cause the way she does it is she'll send us, like she'll write a good chunk of it or a good majority of it. And then she'll want feedback while she's writing the rest. So she knows how to continue writing it or, well, not how. That's not right. <laughs> but, you know, like, you know, if we find any, like, inconsistencies or whatever she can correct them before she gets too much further into it or something right, right. such but, a cliffhanger for that one 
I know. <laughs> I know. I'm dying to read the next part too. <laughs> yeah. So that that was that. I guess was my concern going on because my I'm in the. I'm in the the camp where I either love what I'm reading or I feel like it drags. And when like yeah. and, and there's a lot of people out there who say, "Oh no, it doesn't drag. It's wonderful." And then they're then those people are like, you know, the beginning of summer kind of drags. I'm like, oh god, if you think it's <laughs> so, it's yeah, like, but it I, picks know, I up. mean, like, yeah, it does. I mean, it's like it just kind of drags in a way that it's kind of like right after you got out of school, you know, when you're in high school or something, and also, like, your first week of summer, it's, like, really slow and, you know, really kind of uneventful. But, yeah. you know. Well, I, I think that's the thing we keep dancing around. It's realistic, and do people want to read stories that are incredibly realistic, or do they want to read stories that are dramatic? Right. And some people love the realism because it's like Sims and they want to experience a real life. And other people are like, I have a real life. I go to the bank every day and I want to read about someone more dramatic than me. So it's, yeah. it's you're not going to please everybody. I think that's the bottom line. Which yeah. You- well, you know, like I said, it's just the first couple of chapters. So, I mean, I like, I don't know. I mean, I can see how people would think it kind of drags, but it's nothing that you can't get through. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Something's like, okay, I can totally read this and enjoy it because I know something is going to come. Just yeah, like with, you know, even just like this story, it's like there's a couple slower chapters, but you know, if you keep going, something else big is going to happen. Or yeah, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's preference. There's a lot of people who are you know members of our forum who just this isn't their type of story. They can't do it, and it's funny because like I'm a big After the End fan. And I'm not sure if you've read After the End, but I have not. But I've been it's wanting the to. Time you've mentioned it, sweetie. I'm trying to. I'm, I was trying to gauge her reaction. Thank you, Lady Chief, for reminding. I'm sorry. I'll let you know now. I have not read it, but I've been wanting to. Cool, but no, I still have the time. But yeah, no, that's 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 cool. But it's like, the, but I know people who love. You're like none other who are like, ooh, after the end. I don't think I can do that. And it's hilarious. Like me. I'm, yeah, it's like I. Now, what did you think of it? You read it? Did you? Um, I thought. I kind of. I guess I. I felt I feel about it like you seem to feel about you're like none other, none other like I enjoyed it well enough but it's not really the sort of thing I read normally and they didn't parts of it were great the other parts you could have done without yeah they were like little bits like I really like the Quidditch parts and I thought she did it really mm-hmm. well or he did it I don't know who wrote it but yeah. Um, it was, it was um, a bunch of different people actually some people yeah it was, there, there was many different people wrote it Really, that that would actually explain a lot. It was a collaborative. It was a collaborative. Um, one parts of it seemed to really like. I really didn't like the um, the Bill Weasley and uh, what's her face. Those parts were like Fleur. Yeah, like they didn't do much for me at all. Yeah, that part I remember to drag for parts. Um, there was a guest chapter, the Quidditch chapter in the middle when Harry was injured. That was written (laughs) by um a guest author who wrote that, but the rest of it was written by. That's my favorite chapter too. Was it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, you. That's interesting. But yeah, um, that was go- that was ghost written in. Um, but the rest of it was written primarily by two women. If you actually listen to um, like episode sixteen of the podcast, we interview both of them. So. But yeah, so you know, I enjoyed it, but it wouldn't make the top yeah. whatever on any list of mine. Well, it's everything. I mean, you're never going to please everybody. But yeah, you know. Well, I think I actually have to get going because I have to be up early in the morning. I think we're kind of dying down here. But um, both of you, definitely, if you would like to, definitely show up um, next week. Does anyone remember, did we actually end the episode? I don't remember. I I don't think so. Okay, and we didn't end the episode. Okay, so good night, everybody. Night. Night, guys.
See, that went well. No one could even tell that. That was good. Hi, everyone. This is Cody from the forums, and I'm calling for chapters 75 to 84. And of these chapters, I think the one that's my favorite of these chapters and possibly of is one of my favorite in the entire book or, you know, fanfic or whatever you want to call it, is Just Desserts, chapter 83, I think it is, because it is such an emotional chapter for everyone involved. And there's so many, like, little tidbits of information or just little hints that get out. And we also learn more about Snape. I think one of the parts I like about this chapter is when um, it's mentioned that, you know, Snape paid for what he did and that what he did was worse than going to Azkaban. And just you get a sense that, I mean, you get a sense of what he did and how much he had to go through for that. And also kind of what he says to Draco or it says, you left your birth father and his way of life, Draco. I do know how much, courage, how much courage it takes to leave the Death Eaters. And then his mentioning that there is a Slytherin type of courage, which is something I've kind of always thought of, you know, being a Slytherin on the forums. And that there's a use for both kinds of courage, where Gryffindors are the kinds that will stand up no matter what, and Slytherins are the kinds that they'll do something brave, but they don't see the point of getting knocked back down. And they'll do it in ways that still put themselves at risk and still are dangerous, but aren't necessarily the same kind of bold ways that a Gryffindor might use. And also, I just like the other little um, small scene where it shows that Severus really does want Harry's respect, where Snape doesn't tell Harry about almost getting poisoned because he thinks that Harry will think less of him for, you know, making a mistake. And it just shows that, you know, Snape seems very cool and collected and in control, but he does make mistakes, and he is worried that Harry will think less of him. And I think it just really makes his character more human. Because in this story, and in more than other stories, he really seems mature, and he seems like an adult, and we don't really see what he's feeling as much as we do in some other fics. And this kind of is another glimpse of humanity that shows that he does make mistakes, and it makes him a much more relatable character. And then also the point that Harry brings up, I, I watched you um, tell my brother to eat poison, and I still don't think less of you. You know, why would this make you think less of me? Why would this make me think less of you? Okay, that's all I have. I can't wait to hear what you guys think of these chapters. Bye.